at one point I was actually chasing one of the girls who was on the fencing team and I learned all about foil and epe and saber and her brother was a saber. So I was like, oh, that's cool. A fencing girl. That's kind of hot though, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, uh, <laughs> 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 it's someone I'm still somewhat friends oh with, okay right? and yeah. I'm, she'll, she'll never listen to this show but it's just funny like <laughs> she's a happily married woman with a whole bunch of children so we'll just <laughs> leave it at that if you're listening call me <laughs> <laughs> You are now listening to the Press Playcast. The Playcast is the place where the single banana and I, Ghost 81 discuss music, movies, gaming, and culture, as well as the monthly community playthrough games selected by us and shared by a community of gamers on rfgeneration.com and social media platforms like Twitter and Discord. This month, we're going out of our comfort zones with an anime-style visual novel dating simulator called Doki Doki Literature Club. This seemingly innocent and cute game has a reputation for some of its more unique elements. But is it worth signing up for? Stay tuned to find out. You can listen to the show on Apple Podcasts and Podbean, or just visit rfgplaycast.com. On Twitter, I'm at RFGPlaycast, and Rich is at TheSingleBanana. And Monica is at LilMonIX3. Most importantly, be sure to log on to RFGeneration.com to discuss the games with us and have a chance to get mentioned on the show. Thank you as always for listening, and now, on with the Playcast.
Well, damn, Sean, it seems like Skype's just as excited to be doing a call this early as I am. <laughs> I love it, man. I know you do. My wife and I picked the earliest opening grocery store that we could go to. Get it, <laughs> get in, get out, and get ready to record. This is amazing. Uh, well, for one of us it is, anyway. <laughs> I uh, try to catch up on sleep on the weekends. School just started back, and I got three kids, and they're at three different schools this year. So it's utter f***ing chaos right now <laughs> in the banana household. But uh, it's early morning. I'm here in the banana cave, and uh, I'm ready to record. Awesome. Well, speaking of the banana cave, I recently had a good friend and loyal listener of the show visit good buddy Wild Bill from the Collector Cast. He just decided to pop down for a random weekend that we had planned out, and I took him to all the hot spots locally and uh, got a few good North Carolina beers, and uh, we had a great time together, man. It was a great visit. That is so cool. Bill is one that I've never met in person, so I hope that I get the chance someday. He's just a really sweet guy and one of my favorite internet friends that I've had over the years. So that's pretty awesome. I know this isn't been your first time meeting him in person, right? That's correct. Uh, this is probably the fourth time because I've been to three Retro World Expos. Right. And then, you know, of course, his visit as well. So it's great to meet him. The guy is a class act. He only stayed one night here, which was sad. I think we'd like to spend a lot more time together and do a lot more things, but we made the most out of the trip. We went everywhere <laughs> within uh, Greensboro and Winston-Salem area, lots of game stores. I took him to a movie theater nearby. If you follow him on Twitter, you'll get to see some of the photos that he took. There's some amazing artwork in the area. Had some great food and uh, it was an incredible visit. Again, he's a class act, man. He uh, sent us some gifts. Sent my daughter a Nirvana t-shirt. <laughs> awesome. I think I've told the story on here, but she told me she wanted a Nirvana t-shirt. And I turned around and said to her, okay, name three songs Nirvana sings. Oh, you didn't do that to her, man. Did you? Come on. <laughs> I did. I said, you can't have a shirt until you know at least three songs. You don't want to go to school and get called out and be a poser. I just didn't want her getting embarrassed at school. I think she needs to kind of know some songs before she wears a shirt like that. But of course, Bill sent it to her after he heard the story. So oh, it was kind of funny. And uh, he sent my uh, two boys a Rubik's Cube, one of the speed cubes. And my middle child is so obsessed with it that after a day of never having a Rubik's Cube before, he went on YouTube and looked at a bunch of videos and he can solve a Rubik's Cube now in under three minutes. Wow. And now he's almost at the two-minute mark. I think two minutes and three seconds is his fastest time. I've never been able to solve a damn Rubik's Cube in my life, man. And <laughs> the kid's like, oh, yeah, it's just some uh, simple algorithms, Dad. I'll show you how to do it. I'm like, yeah, man, I got too much on my plate. No thanks. That's pretty cool. I've never even come close to solving a Rubik's Cube in my life, and I'm sure there are techniques and ways to do it, and there's a, definitely a niche of people that can do it. And I always remember this song I heard once from some comedian. I'm sorry, I forget his name, but he had this funny song about Rubik's Cube, and I always remember... <laughs> 
one of the lines in the song is Rubik's Cube is driving me crazy. I'm peeling off the stickers because I'm too stupid and lazy. (laughs) (laughs) Amen. (laughs) Oh, that's great. But uh, yeah, man, incredible visit. And he seemed to enjoy North Carolina a lot. So I hope he comes back. Speaking of North Carolina visits. Yeah, my wife and I, on your recommendation, actually visited Wilmington and we stayed at Wrightsville Beach, which is a very beautiful and rich area (laughs) with one of the nicest beaches I've ever been on in my life. And I'm not so much of a beach expert, but I am a huge fan of going to the beach and seeing the ocean. I love the water and and everything, the sand, and man, Wrightsville Beach was amazing. And my wife and I were honestly kind of scouting the place out as a potential place to relocate, because after all these years in Austin, my wife, and to a lesser extent myself, but definitely my wife has some family and friends in New Jersey who she would like to be a little bit geographically closer to. And just over the years, a little bit of a compromise that we've come up with would be moving back to the East Coast, but somewhere in the South, because I have no desire to move back to New Jersey or back to the Northeast in general. So we started getting this idea, like, why don't we check out North or South Carolina and talking to you about it, uh, you just said, hey, check out Wilmington. You suggested that I come visit you, which I will eventually, but right. we didn't make it happen on this trip. I don't want to get too ahead of myself because I don't know what's going to happen, but we're looking at now the Raleigh area, and we think it'll be something similar to what we're used to in Austin, and it's uh, kind of a, a short drive to Wilmington. We didn't necessarily get the vibe that we wanted to live there, but we would love to be able to visit it conveniently. So the next small city closest to there is Raleigh. So we're actually going to check it out in a week here. We'll be down in Raleigh. Awesome, man. Yeah, Raleigh is, I would say, about an hour and a half from us, maybe a little bit less. So that's good for me. So, you know, we can definitely visit a lot, which would be great. Wilmington is about three and a half hours but uh, you're right, you will be kind of close, and I believe it's probably about a two-hour trip from Raleigh down to Wilmington, maybe a little bit more. So uh, you'll be sort of close to a beach. That's not a bad ride. Yeah, no, for here, we go to the Gulf of Mexico on the Texas coast every once in a while, and that's about a four-and-a-half-hour drive from where we are. And that's not even a good beach. It's just an excuse to see the ocean. And to have a two-hour drive to a really, really good beach, the best beach I've ever been to, (laughs) uh, would be a really great upgrade to our lifestyle. So that's kind of what I'm looking for. And I got to call out kind of the funny funny exchange we had (laughs) because we've been slacking, messaging each other about the region because you've lived there your whole life and I you know you're my go-to guy to learn about the the area mm-hmm. and uh, I said well how do you feel about Raleigh and you said I don't really like Raleigh they don't have a lot of video game stores <laughs> <laughs> and I was it's like true. man it's funny after all these years our priorities are <laughs> really in different places <laughs> I, I just laughed when I saw that message <laughs> well it's funny because it is our second largest city right behind Charlotte, and it's the capital of our state. Mm -hmm. And I cannot name one video game store within Raleigh. There's one that's outside of Raleigh, 
in this small town named Garner. But for such a big city, it's mind-blowing. I mean, I have three stores just around me within a 10-mile radius. So for a town like Raleigh to not have any, it's mind-blowing. But I will say there is a great video game community out there of people that collect They just had a big event at a convention center that they whipped up within a month, which is insane. That area is really growing. So I know you're not interested in video game stores so much, but having these local events and stuff like the local flea markets that they run and the smaller convention might be of something of interest to you while you're there. Yeah, that'll be cool. And uh, our pals limited run games is right in Apex, which is just southwest of Raleigh. So that's... That's pretty cool, too. And they just opened up a store uh, a few months ago. So they have actually a brick-and-mortar footprint, which is pretty cool. A lot of people have been visiting it and uh, have great things to say about it. I haven't had a chance to go. Bill and I talked about going out there right before his flight, but we were just kind of like, eh, there's nothing we really need to buy. So we just kind of passed on it, but uh, maybe next time. All right, man. Well, I'm really glad you had a great visit to our state. I would love to show you around to some more places sometime. When you and your wife come down, the Outer Banks is awesome. The mountains here are cool, too. So, uh, yeah, man, uh, looking forward to a visit from you guys. Well, anyway, let's move on to mistakes. Um, I know we haven't recorded in a while, Sean. It's been since March. And uh, I don't know of any mistakes we had last recording to you. I do, but it's not from the last episode, something I realized that I did. And then I wanted to follow up on something. Okay. Uh, So my first one is Carl Jobs, who is the YouTuber who broke the WADA games controversy. And we talked about his really awesome video that he did. And I'm a big fan of his channel in general. He does like the history of speed running is, is basically his main topic. But every once in a while, he comes out with these like investigative journalist exposés on like Billy Mitchell or Wada games. And he's just an absolute legend as he refers to his viewers as. But anyway, this whole time, I didn't know how he pronounces his name. And I just kind of assumed that it was some kind of Nordic or European. And I I don't even know where he's from. I think he's Austrian. I don't even know. Uh, But I called him Jobst because I was just kind of guessing. But no, Mm -hmm. it's it's pronounced phonetically. It's Jobst. And I figured this out because he was doing an ad read. And I usually skip through those, but I was, I guess I was doing something. And he said, use promo code Jobst. And I was like, oh, it's pronounced that way. So anyway. (laughs) Jays are tricky man you know <laughs> yeah, they are. especially when there's a b in the middle like in the middle of it like uh so that was one correction i wanted to throw in and then i wanted to follow up because i was listening to our previous episode the 007 game boy that was recorded earlier this year uh mm-hmm. 2022 I believe march yeah so i wanted to call out That is actually the second time in the show's history that I talked about a song called Running Up That Hill by Kate Bush (laughs) 
Yes. And the first time was when we talked about cover songs and I was talking about how my wife really likes the placebo version of that song. And I said, you know, nothing will beat the Kate Bush original. It's one of the greatest songs ever written. And then coincidentally, we were talking about one, two punches on albums. And I was talking about Hounds of Love and how it opens with Running Up That Hill and then has Hounds of Love right after it, which is two awesome songs. Oddly enough... Did you watch Stranger Things? Uh, Dude, that four? has blown up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this is one of the biggest songs actually going right now. Now it's kind of cooled off since the, the hype for the season four of Stranger Things has kind of died down. But I wanted to talk about it a little because we've talked about this show throughout our history. We've covered every season as they've come up. I still to this day think that if they had ended with season one, probably would have been the best thing because they keep kind of expanding. And in season four, the whole plot is basically a retcon of the previous seasons. Mm -hmm. I was one of these weird people who really liked season three. I like that kind of like goofy Scooby-Doo tone that they had in season three. Yeah. However, one of the big moments of season four was the use of... Uh, running up the hill by Kate Bush by one of the characters as a means to escape and save her life. And I got to tell you, man, like one of my favorite themes in any like work of art is the theme that music has power and music has the power to literally save your life. Uh, There's an Andrew WK song called music is worth living for. That's something I live by, man. I really, really Uh, believe that. Absolutely. So I got to tell you that episode uh, I was crying like a baby and <laughs> I rarely do that when I'm watching something. But, uh, and I also want to talk about the whole thing like, Oh, look, all these, uh, noobs are coming in and listening to Kate Bush and uh, master of puppets just because of stranger things. And it's like, <laughs> bro, you discovered the descendants by playing Tony Hawk or, you know, you discovered dragon force through guitar hero. So right. shut the hell up. You know, I, I, agree. I, gotta, yeah. I have to confess I discovered a lot of 80s music from the movie Donnie Darko. So <laughs> Hey, that's a good one to start with if you <laughs> yeah. think about 80s music, man. <laughs> Especially the emo stuff, you know? Exactly. So I'm like anti-shade for people who are coming to like appreciate music they've never heard before. I don't care how you heard it. And and by the way, like Metallica is one of the biggest bands in the world, like for the past 30 years. Like get get over yourself. Kate Bush a little bit more obscure, mm-hmm. but like more people listening to her music she made tons of money off oh of dude i heard a million dollars a day <laughs> yeah not only the song belongs to her but it completely belongs to her she produced it in everything yeah. so no one else has rights to that song but her and that's incredible good for her man i totally celebrate it and you know my daughter and her friends are all listening to it and I've told you before, I have the soccer carpool that I drive around and they have to bear all of the music that I'm playing. And so that was one of the songs that was on my playlist that they would have to listen to. And they're all like, (laughs) oh, you know, whatever. Can you play some more modern stuff? And of course, now they're all obsessed with that Kate Bush song. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. (laughs) But um, yeah, I heard from a lot of people, not only you, that that was their favorite episode of Stranger Things ever. Uh, yeah. Even my daughter said that. She's like, you got to see this episode. And we um, we ended up watching it. I like Stranger Things okay. It was a fun watch. I'm not super into it like a lot of people are. And 
of course, you know, they're riffing on Nightmare on Elm Street. And there's one part near the end, and you may have seen it, and we won't spoil anything. But there's one, like, nod to the original Halloween near the end of it. So it's pretty cool. And I, I do appreciate some kind of throwbacks like that and references to the stuff I love. But, um, yeah, it's just an okay show for me. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, I'm like you. I don't have a problem with how people come into music. I'm just really happy that the older music is surviving and people are realizing, hey, you know, what I'm listening to right now is not the end-all, be-all of music. There's music that was created before my time that I should be going back and listening to and enjoying and just celebrating music as a whole. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Couldn't have said it better. Break! Break! My man Joseph, I call him Fifth Photo. So he gotta get out of Atlanta, his soul. Baby mama say been self, she I saw. Daddy picked up cell phone, called Oho. She took him to the airport, hit him with spread. Parked in the deck, then hit him with head. Hit him with the fake ID and tick. Old man, little spish, but he hit him with fit. Hit him with a heart, hit him with the old man stamp ticket, and he went like. Then he hit him with the smile, and he hit him with the wink. And Jojo hit the bathroom, Jojo hit the sink. Cold water, head splash on the face. Side part, pump, snoop, murder, what's the Oh sh! Look to his left, go space. Peace God, peace God, what's the law right? Think he had snowed out in my day. Go told him nice wallets, then he went out on his way. Now it's back to reality, reality say. You still gotta make it to that side of the gate. He moves like a bathroom, clicking with haste. Listen, long line, it's a while for the day. And it's an old lady, give Joe the evil eye. Mad cause you see him cutting spaces in line. Well, speaking of music, should we roll on into our concert cast? Absolutely. So we are doing another Albums of the Year. And as we usually do when we do these, I like to go back and just kind of review the ones we've done in the past because I love doing these so much. And I know lists like top five, top 10 lists are very popular. So if you listen to this, we pick years and just go through our top five. Sometimes it's six or seven. It's whatever (laughs) we we want. Uh, Albums of a particular year. And it's always a lot of fun. I always just really love doing a deep dive into these years and catalogs and discovering things. So real quick, we did... First of all, our sidecast part three was albums of the decade from 2010 to 2019. I haven't plugged this in a while, but it's something I'm always really proud of. 
I describe this to people as a really cool mixtape narrated by two of your coolest friends. <laughs> and if you haven't checked that out, you definitely should. Because we are cool. <laughs> Uh, in episode 53, which was Dynamite, Cop, and Die Hard, we did 1989. In episode 60, which was Dragon Warrior, we did 1986. Episode 66, Saints Row the Third with Buried on Mars, that was the year 1995. Episode 74, Darksiders Genesis with my friend Frank, who is the head writer on Darksiders Genesis, we did 2007. Episode 80, which was just the two of us, we did 2001, that was Bioshock 2. Episode 85, which was Axiom Verge with the aforementioned Wild Bill 52, that was year 1997. And today, for episode 91, in which our game is Doki Doki Literature Club, we are doing the year 2012. Now, our more astute listeners may notice that some of those previous episodes, the year kind of tied in with the game or maybe the movie the game was related to. But in this case, there's no relation between the game and the year we chose. We were just looking at, we haven't done anything particular in the 2010s besides that decade retrospective that we did. So I said, hey, let's do 2012 and look at some of the albums that came out 10 years ago. It should be interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And I got to say, man, 2012, uh, I don't know what your history is with 2012, but I was looking at these songs and I was like, oh, man, I don't know any of these albums. What in the hell? Oh, interesting. Okay. Did I just like flash through 2012? And then I started thinking, okay, what was going on in 2012 with me? And that was when I had my second kid. So I've got a toddler and I've got a newborn who was born in 2011, but, you know, still very, very young. So I think my life was just completely taken over by having two kids at that age. And I wasn't listening to a lot of music. I know at the time I was collecting a lot of video games. So I think I kind of substituted one for the other. So this list, I, I had to really do a lot of studying and uh, found a lot of albums that I had never heard before and really happy that we did this one. That's awesome. And it's funny you say that because I was kind of thinking of the same thing, which is like, what was going on in my life in 2012 and what right. was going on in the world in 2012? Because I could hear a tone in, the, in a lot of the stuff that I was listening to. And I was just thinking of how this was... Post 9-11, which is always a, a landmark, you know, there's pre-9-11 yeah. things, post-9-11 things. Uh -huh. It's post the financial recession of 2008, but it was pre the 2016 election and pre-pandemic. So mm -hmm. it was not the worst of times, but it wasn't the best of times either. So there is some more positive sounding stuff, but there's also some kind of darker stuff and yeah and sometimes you can really see the tone of the culture by the music that was released at the time and i, I thought that was very interesting and yeah. in my life i was just still in new jersey this was a time when i don't think there was much going on for me either because when mm -hmm. i was looking at these albums there weren't many that stuck out as, oh, yeah, I remember hearing that when it came out. I don't <laughs> think there were almost any from this list. This was all stuff that I discovered later. In fact, a lot of this stuff is from after I moved to Texas and started 
working in a warehouse with my friend Corey, who you know, who's been on the show before. Mm -hmm. We discovered a lot of this music just by watching YouTube and listening to whatever YouTube recommended while we worked. So a lot of it was just going down rabbit holes of albums that had been released in the previous like few years. And that's how I heard about a lot of these artists and albums. Yeah, my list has basically two albums that I had listened to. Like that's all I could find in 2012, which is odd for me anyway. But uh, again, very fun list to put together. Sean, you want to go first? Sure. So my number five is one. And how I came to this list, I did my usual thing. I go to a website called besteveralbums.com. I recommend it. It's, it's like Discogs, but a little bit different. There's not like a marketplace on it, I don't think. And you can search by decade, you can search by year, and they're user ranked. So it's a little, you know, <laughs> like Radiohead's at the top of every year that they release the album. Um, <laughs> well, Pitchfork was super snobby when I looked at that list for this oh, okay. year. So I try to stay away from that. Rolling Stone was about as bad. But what I love about Best Ever Albums is that they tend to go worldwide and they give you the top 1,000 albums for each year. Interesting. So, Going through those lists, you know, it takes a couple hours and I'll just kind of pick out anything that looks interesting to me and get a sample of it and listen to the whole album if it strikes me as as being good. Mm -hmm. uh, so in this case, it's a band that I came really late to the party with, and that is Passion Pit. Do you, <laughs> are you familiar with them, Rich? Uh, yes, because this album is also on my list. Oh, no way. Okay. Yes, it is. <laughs> so... They have this album uh, that came out a few years before this one called Manners, which has yes. a song called Sleepyhead on it. Oh, such a good song. And it's funny because <laughs> Sleepyhead is one of the best annoying songs you've ever heard in your life. And when yes. I first heard it, I hated it. I thought it was like one of the worst, dumbest, noisy, shrieky, shrill songs I've it's ever It's real heard. pitchy, dog. <laughs> <Right. laughs> but over the years, I've come to adore that song it's actually one of my favorite songs yep. me too and then over time i came to realize that that album manners is a complete masterpiece mm -hmm. so when i was doing this 2012 list i saw oh passion pit has another album that came in out in 2012 so i spun that great great albums I've heard the singles off of it. I took a walk or take a walk or whatever it's called. Uh -huh. I've heard that song before. And Carried Away as well was a big single off of there. Oh, okay. But just listening to this album, just the brilliance of the sampling. It's kind, it's like a mashup album, but not really. But it's like an indie album with samples. It's glitchy and the, the guy sings in all these different pitches and just amazing talent. And, and this is a, another great album. Nice, man. Well, it's a great pick. Yeah, uh, Manners is a killer album. It came out 2009, which was just three years before this one. So their sophomore debut. And uh, there was another song on there. I think it was called Little Secrets that was big as well. You know, it's funny. Passion Pit's kind of one of these bands that you would expect to hear in like an Apple commercial. Yeah. And, and <laughs> yeah, and I actually looked to see if they were in an Apple commercial and they were not. But uh, I know I've heard Take a Walk, at least in some commercial. 
Yes, I'm aligned with that. I can't remember either exactly which one it was, but I know I know that song from some kind of ad because of the keyboard synth line and the the hook of the song. I was like, oh, I've heard this before. I might not have even known it was them at the time. Now, I know you mentioned Passion Pit, but did you mention the name of the album? Oh, yeah, it's called Gossamer. Yes, yes. Um, And so moving on to my list... I just wanted to say, I'm going to start with Passion Pit. I'm just going to talk a little bit about it since we've already started that. Because my top two to five albums are just kind of interchangeable. I couldn't figure out a good order to put them in as far as my favorites. I just kind of look at them all as equally as good. But I have one album that stands out above the rest. Yeah, I'll just pick Passion Pit for my number five as well. And like you said, it's just a great album. It's fun. It's very energetic. It's probably the most energetic album on my list right now. I picked up my daughter last night and her friend from a local fair. And after we dropped her friend off, my daughter really likes this kind of electro pop music. So I put Passion Pit on for her and I was like, have you ever heard this before? She's like, no, but I really, really like it. And so it's one of those albums where the songs on it, even though you've never heard them before, you listen to it one time and it just clicks, you know, you're just in love with it. So, yeah, uh, yeah fantastic album and uh, great pick, Sean. My uh, favorite track on the album, I would say, is Carried Away. So, um, yeah, I'm going to go with that. Cool. So I guess that kicks it back to me, huh? It does. All right. So this is another one that I discovered a little bit after it came out just by YouTube recommendations, just letting stuff play and seeing what would come up. And I'm curious if this is also on your list because it's in a similar <laughs> I'm thinking vein. we might have a few when I was looking <laughs> at my list, man. All right. So this is By Your Side by BreakBot. Is that on your list? It is not. I haven't heard that one. Oh, okay. I think you would enjoy this. The only thing that you might not like about it is that it's maybe a little bit too derivative. What it is, is a kind of a disco throwback album. Think Daft Punk discovery, but with more vocals. Okay. So if you're into Michael Jackson or I know you like, like the older disco stuff. So absolutely, a, man. Funk yeah. disco. That's right <laughs> up my alley, man. Sounds great. Yeah. It's a French guy. It's very, French sounding <laughs> and it has these uh just really good throwback melodies and beats and I really enjoy it by your side part one and two is probably my favorite tracks on that and yeah there's really not much else to say I, I would say if you like either Michael Jackson or Daft Punk you would like this awesome man all right my number four is a band that I have actually seen live before. Just to kind of give you some perspective, here in Greensboro, we have several colleges, uh, even in kind of a small town. I think we have like five. And a few of the colleges at the beginning of the year to kick it off for the students will bring in bands. And so these are like free shows that you can show up on campus and, you know, listen to the music. So like, my friend and I are like the two old dudes that show up on campus for free pizza and getting to see a band, you know? And a few of the bands that have played are The Violent Films, The Waves, Songs Ohio, which is a, a band that I really love. But another band that played was a group called Mount Erie. Have you heard of this band, Sean? 
Yes, I have. I'll let you talk about it, but I know one particular album of theirs, and I'm sure you know which one it is. <laughs> Maybe so. But um, I got to see these guys in 2007. I didn't know who Mount Erie was at the time. It's sort of a side band of a guy named Phil Everham from a band called The Microphones. And one of my favorite albums is The Glow Part 2 by The Microphones. Yeah. And so, <laughs> yeah, it's a great album. So um, I went to see them based on that with some friends. And I got to tell you, I had a great time. The album that I picked, they actually put out two in 2012. One was called Ocean Roar, which I did not pick. It's a bit of a more jagged and noise-driven album. The one I went with is a lot more subdued and angelic and beautiful. I would say that it's kind of ambient shoegaze-type music, and the name of it is Clear Moon. It's just a fantastic album. I would describe it best as sort of like background music. It's the perfect music to listen to when you're like working or just kind of focused on something else other than the music. It's just so beautiful and uh, wonderful. But it does get a little darker after like the fourth or fifth song. And so there is this really, really great transition. He's got some girl singing with him. I'm not sure who that is, but she has an amazing voice, and the harmonies on this album are fantastic. And so that's my number four pick. A few tracks that I would say check out are Through the Trees Part 2, which is the first song, uh, very angelic, and then a song called Over Dark, which, of course, like the title suggests, is a little bit darker song. It starts out with this sound that gives me Tool vibes. So, uh, yeah, man, really cool album. Yeah, so the album by him that I'm thinking of is A Crow Looked At Me. Are you familiar with that one? I am not familiar with that one, actually. Okay, well, man, it's one of these albums that you almost only want to listen to once. <laughs> you said that this particular album you were talking about gets dark. So I don't know if you know the background about Phil Elverum himself, but... His wife actually passed away of pancreatic cancer in 2016. Okay. And he wrote this album as a reaction to it. Uh, a Crow Looked at Me. And uh, yeah, it's just one of the saddest, bleakest things I've ever heard in my life. And uh, <laughs> it's like, it's one of those things that's like hard to recommend mm -hmm. unless you want to listen to mo the most saddest, bleakest thing you've ever heard in your life about a guy whose wife and the mother of his children died of cancer, you know, at the age of 35. Wow. It's just an incredible work of art, but one that you got to be prepared for. So right. Uh, what you're saying about his earlier works makes me want to listen to more of the stuff that just isn't <laughs> like a sledgehammer to the heart. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's funny. At the same show, I picked up a vinyl and it was by the microphones, but the title of the album was Mount Erie. And I think this was sort of when he was sort of transitioning into his, I don't want to call it solo group because it's really not his solo group, but his side project with Mount Erie. Uh, so, you know, I thought that was kind of interesting that the microphones album was titled Mount Erie. And then he decides on that name uh, for his band, which is kind of weird, but cool in the same sense. <laughs> The Descendants did that too, right? They had the oh, song yeah. All, and then they their next band was called All. So there you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So what are we on? Number three. Okay. Number three. 
So this is probably the one that I was into closest to when it came out, and it's what got me into her. It's Marina and the Diamonds, Electra Heart. I saw that album release, and I'm like, <laughs> I know that's going to be on his list. Yes, I've talked about it before, so I won't go too into it, but this is a just a really good kind of power pop, and her albums are more poppy in the traditional sense, like piano and synth and stuff, but this album in particular has a more rockin' tone to it and kind of more punk and rock inspired. So I would recommend it to anybody who likes that kind of music, just pop or dance pop with a little bit of edge. She's a really, really great lyricist and writes kind of deep and introspective stuff. Her lyrics just go deeper than you first realize. Awesome, man. Well... For my number three pick, uh, this might be one that's on your list. I'm not sure. Probably at least in your honorable mentions if it didn't make your top five. But this is an artist who I heard about for the first time from you. I know this is a popular artist. And I've never really gone back and listened to any of her catalog. And that is Grimes with the uh, album Visions. Nice. That is not on my list, but I'm glad we got to talk about it. (laughs) Yeah, man, it is a great album. I didn't know what to expect when I first put it on. I thought it was going to be sort of like this power pop stuff that you love so much. But really, it's sort of like an electro pop slash house music type album. Grimes, of course, started out as a Canadian DJ it almost sounds like a bunch of samples in a way. I don't know if you get that vibe from it or not. Yeah, it's very synthy. And there's, mm-hmm. uh, if you've ever seen her, there's like YouTube videos of her creative process and she just has all kinds of, <laughs> all kinds of toys, like <laughs> synths and samplers and all that kind of stuff. So very eclectic. Yeah. I love that kind of stuff too. So, uh, yeah, I thought this was a fantastic album. I'd really never listened to it, but Like I said, I put it on and just kind of fell in love with it. Um, It's energetic, but it's not overly energetic. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. It's just kind of right in my wheelhouse. It's not like super dancey music, but just something really nice to put on that sounds great. And so, yeah, I really enjoyed this album. And uh, my pick for my favorite track would probably be the song Oblivion. Yes, absolutely. That's one of my honorable mentions for Song of the Year. I love that song. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) Very cool, man. All right, man, we're getting down to the last two. What do you got? Awesome. Well, I have talked about a group called Run the Jewels uh, Uh, quite a bit on this show. (laughs) And one of my albums of the decade was a Run the Jewels album. In 2012, Run the Jewels had not formed yet. However... One half of the duo, Killer Mike, put out a solo album called R.A.P. Music or Rap Music, and it was produced by the other half of Run the Jewels, Jamie L.P. Molina. Also, it's worth noting that L.P. put out an album called Cancer for the Cure this year, which is also a very good album. It just didn't make my list. I do like it a lot, but not nearly as much as this Killer Mike album, which is really good and it's the closest thing you're going to get to another run the jewels album it just lp doesn't rap on it it's all killer mike and i love this album because it kind of pays homage to a lot of different types of 
hip-hop and rap music. And one of my favorite songs on here is this song called JoJo's Chillin', which is this, man, it's so, it's just this funny, like, throwback to something like a Run DMC song or Slick Rick where the song tells a story. And it's just about this guy named Jojo. I don't know what the background is. If Jojo is a real person or a friend of Mike's or something. But the whole song is about a guy trying to get through an airport with some drugs. And <laughs> it's just this really funny song. And there's so many like great lines in it. And this was another one that I used to listen to with my coworkers a lot. And we pulled so many catchphrases from this song that we would just repeat to each other as jokes all the time. It's just really funny. And if you check out this song, it'll make you want to listen to the rest of the album because it's so good. That's awesome. I did listen to this album. I do not remember that song. You know, so many albums to have to go through. You know, I would just sort of listen to samples of them. And if something caught me, then I would listen deeper into the albums. But yeah, I'll have to go back and check this one out, man. Thanks for the recommendation. Awesome. All right. So what's your number two? Uh, My number two album is a band that I had previously listened to before. This was, I believe, their fourth studio album. The album prior to that that I really enjoyed was called Teen Dream. The artist is the band Beach House, and this is their album Bloom. Again, this is one of those kind of lo-fi shoegaze albums. And while I like the album Teen Dream, this album is just really, really solid all the way through. It's just this beautiful album. Again, I feel like most of my picks are this sort of like somber electro pop stuff. It's just something that I'm really into. I know a lot of people don't like it because it's not very energetic, but for me, it just puts me in a, a really good place and it's just very soothing. So this entire album is fantastic from start to finish and uh, I can't recommend it enough. My favorite track on it is Troublemaker. Awesome, man. Well, that Beach House album made it onto my playlist, but I didn't have a chance to check it out. So I'm going to have to uh, revisit it when I'm in for some chill and mellow vibes. Maybe I'll play it over dinner because my wife and I listen to chill music when we eat dinner together. So I'll try it. Either that or that Mount Erie Clear Moon album. That's some really good chill music too, man. You should check that one out as well. Awesome. All right. Well, we're down to... Our number one. And my number one was kind of surprising in a sense, but I remember really, really loving this album when it came out because one of my coworkers bought it. I used to work with this guy who would just buy CDs a lot. <laughs> and like, <laughs> he wasn't like a collector, he was just someone who was interested in music and he preferred to buy CDs. Back then, digital music wasn't like the end-all be-all that it is today. People were still buying, but it was definitely going out of style. But he was always buying CDs, bringing them to work. And he brought in this album by Lee Ronaldo. Lee Ronaldo is from Sonic Youth, which is one of my favorite bands of all time, as our listeners know, as you know, Rich. Absolutely. And Lee Ronaldo in Sonic Youth, I was trying to think of the best way to explain this. He is kind of like George Harrison in a way, which is if you like the Beatles and you really love George Harrison, 
you wish there were more George Harrison songs in the Beatles, right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so, Lee Ronaldo, through this, the career of Sonic Youth, would have like one or two songs on each album. To me, they were always my favorite and the best songs on all of their albums. Uh, love his voice, love his songwriting style, just the the way he crafts a song with the courses and verses, the way they go into each other. There's a a dynamic that he does very well. And he's also a good singer, which cannot really be said <laughs> about the other members of Sonic Youth. Um, so he released an album in 2012, a solo album called Between the Times and the Tides. He has a few other solo albums, which I'll be quite honest, I'm not super familiar with. But this one, uh, again, my coworker just brought it into work one day. And I was like, oh, cool, Lee Ronaldo. I love him. And it's such a good album uh and i'm just listening to it more recently like the other day to compile this list i was like oh man this is my number one it's so lush and pleasant to the ears but still not like mellow or bland to, for lack of a better word it just has a really good flow like a warm hug <laughs> you know what i mean but also yeah. a little bit of a like oh you're hugging me too tight or your, your <laughs> fist just hit my chest when you hugged me kind of thing like it's not like completely safe or sterile it's just really a nice good album nice man great pick for number 1 yeah that's not what i've heard but uh once again i mean that's the great thing about making these lists right is like oh i i really need to check that out i you know never really heard of that person we decided I think around Wednesday of this week and recording on Saturday that we were going to do 2012. And so, you know, I go on Wikipedia and look at all the releases for that year. And, I, and as I'm going through, I'm, I'm really focusing on bands that I know or I've you know heard songs from before. So, um, yeah, that's that's very interesting and something I definitely want to check out now. And not to get too sidetracked, but I did want to talk about George Harrison for a second since you mentioned it. Have you watched the newest Beatles documentary? I haven't because, and you know this, I'm not a big fan of the Beatles. I'm right. A, I'm a huge fan of Paul McCartney, mm -hmm. but I could I could leave the rest. <laughs> like just, really, just give me Paul McCartney. <laughs> like to me, he was ninety percent of the Beatles' talent. Like and and the evidence of that is all of their solo careers post the Beatles. And I understand that. I think you should watch it though because it gives a very insider look about how they compose music. And McCartney is a bit of a bully. In this documentary, he totally craps on Harrison, which is yeah. sad because, you know, George and Ringo are like, you know, very gentle souls. And uh, I love George so much that my middle kid's first name is Harrison. OK, nice. In the middle of the documentary, Harrison is proposing these ideas to McCartney and McCartney's just crapping on him. <laughs> Most of these songs that George is proposing end up on the album All Things Must Pass which is a masterpiece of an album. And I would say probably the best post Beatles album to ever come out. Now I know McCartney put out several albums with, you know, himself and with wings, but I, I would say that hands down, I'm not saying that George's work was the best out of all the Beatles, but I would say hands down, that's the best album that came out post breakup. You know what I mean? Okay. I, I might give it a shot. Um, and another example, <laughs> I was thinking about what example to use. I could have used Carl Wilson from the Beach Boys as well. Mm -hmm. Just uh, a, a guy who's in the band, part of the band, 
collaborates and sings like four or five songs out of their whole catalog. You know what I mean? Yeah. So if that example helps as well, because I don't like the Beatles. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I went down an odd rabbit hole about Dennis Wilson a few months ago. Man, if you want to read something tragic, check out that guy's Wikipedia. Uh, Absolutely. uh, And he... He has a really good solo album. He oh, he's got one two, man. Album. Oh, it's two. two. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Really good stuff, man. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually looking for them on vinyl right now. So, What is the one called that's famous? Ocean Blue something? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah that that's his most famous one. so good. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's a really, really sad story. Um, uh, for listeners, it kind of gets into his association with the, uh, the Manson family. Yeah. Uh, which he and uh, Charles were kind of buddies and it's really weird it really drove him nuts uh later on and was always afraid for his life it's really sad but uh you know worth reading up on if you know if you like the beach boys and if you even if you don't like the beach boys it's a fascinating story but anyway man we got really sidetracked there but at least it was (laughs) about music right (laughs) (laughs) all right so my number one pick drum roll i'm sure sean knows what my number one pick is so i'm just gonna let him announce it Oh, I do. It's Kendrick Lamar, Good Kid. Uh, <laughs> no, no. No, it's Maps and Atlases, Beware and Be Grateful. Absolutely. I knew as soon as I saw oh, I was like, there's Rich's number one pick. I listened to some of it, and I actually listened. The first track is a song that you used in one of our previous lists. So I was like, oh, that's a song Rich was talking about. I like it. I like it. Yeah. Oh, the whole album's good all the way through, man. I suggest a full listen of that album. I uh, actually got to see Maps and Atlases in uh, Chapel Hill, Carborough area, the Cat's Cradle, April 2010. I actually looked it up on Google uh, to verify it. And they opened for a, a Scottish band called Frightened Rabbit, who you've probably heard of before. Maps and Atlases is what's called a math rock band. And basically math rock, I don't know how it's defined, but to me, it, it's sort of like kind of nerdy, very technical music, especially when it comes to the guitars. And if that's the case, then that's a good way to describe it. The band's known for kind of their quirky and aggressive guitar sounds. Their lead singer and guitar player, Dave Davison, is just phenomenal. I mean, seeing them live was amazing. I mean, he's continuously on the low strings, putting together this really awesome melodic stuff. And, you know, when you think of low strings in the guitar... Uh, You think about heavy metal and like shredding and stuff like that, but it's not that. It's really (laughs) incredible sounding. I feel like this is like their most soulful album, but it has that similar guitar play in it. But because of that, I think it's their most approachable album and the lyrics are just fantastic. I've mentioned the song Old and Gray and how it's about a breakup and you know, all these things you find after a breakup and how you remember, like, you had scribbled your names on a wall before you painted over it. Um, you know, it's just a really touching song if you're into lyrics. And like I said, the rest of the album's amazing. I love Old and Gray. I could pick it for my favorite song of 2012, but I, I'm going to go with something else, which we're going to talk about later. But another great song on that album that I would say check out is a song called Remote and Dark Years, which is fantastic and really gives you a good idea of what that band sounds like. So, uh, yeah, man, that's my number one pick. Awesome. Yeah, Maps and Atlas, we've talked about this before, but they were 
way more math rocky in the beginning of their career and then yeah. kind of went in the more I'll just say radio friendly for lack of a better well, That's term, a good way to describe it. Yeah. direction, but Every Place is a House is one of my favorite songs. I just that song just goes off. At the time, there was probably a lot of stuff like that, but I was just not uh hip to it. I had never heard anything like that yeah. until I heard that song. So, but that's one that's one of their older ones. Yeah, their first two albums are mind-blowing. I think one might just be an EP. But yeah, I would say definitely check out the early stuff just to hear like what their original sound was like. And uh, it was very, to me, very innovative. I'd never heard a band play music like that. I thought it was incredible. But I did go to that show and I did buy a T-shirt. I think I wore it while I was in Austin. Yeah. But it's... <laughs> it's a Yeti body slamming a whale out in the middle of the ocean, <laughs> which is really cool. <laughs> I was like, man, this shirt's awesome. I got to buy this. But uh, yeah. Man, uh, before we get into our honorable mentions, did you want to announce what your favorite song of 2012 was? Yeah, definitely. I have just a couple. Oblivion was definitely one of them. Mm -hmm. um, and an honorable mention song from one of my honorable mention albums is uh, Every Single Night, which is the opener to The Idler Wheel by Fiona Apple. I love this song. It's just about the creative process, but just in that quirky Fiona Apple way with a lot of emotion. But probably my favorite song is a song by an artist that I'm not a fan of. And it's it, it's one of those uh, questions you see a lot, maybe on social media. People ask it on TikTok a lot. Like, what's a song you love from an artist you hate? You know, and <laughs> we all have examples of this. And sure. I don't hate this artist, but every time I try to listen to him, and it's one of the most respected artists in hip hop, I just don't like his voice. 
and it's Kendrick Lamar and his album Good Kid Mad City came out in 2012 but -hmm. the song is called Swimming Pools and I discovered this song actually again hearkening back to oh you heard Kate Bush and Stranger Things you nerd well I heard Swimming Pools in saint and a saints row game <laughs> and i can't remember <laughs> saints row the third or saints row four but i was like wow this song is amazing and it's kind of a meme song a lot of people know it but what i love about it is it it's about alcoholism and it's it's mm-hmm. a really good depiction of alcoholism which is something i struggled with earlier in my life and as i'm coming up on six years sober congratulations song, thank you very much that song just really it has a special place in my heart for its depictions of what that it does to you. So that's that's my song of 2012. Nice, man. I was shocked that Kendrick Lamar had an album in 2012. I'm like, that was 10 years ago. I heard of Kendrick Lamar for the first time like last year. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's yeah, that's me been, being honest. Banging around for a while. Yeah. It, same thing with Grimes. I didn't realize Grimes had been around that long as well. So, yeah, man. All right. Great pick. I've never really listened to much Kendrick Lamar, but I will definitely check that song out on your recommendation. Cool. So, hell, man, if you're going to go with two songs, I'm going to pick another song, too, um, as my honorable mention song of the year. And that's a song by a guy named Frank Ocean off of the Channel Orange album. Uh, and that's the song Pyramids. I love that song, man. I heard it the other day. It's like a 10-minute song, though. <laughs> but, uh, I got to check this out because I've never heard a single note of this guy's music. And he always comes up on recommended lists for this album and for some of his other works. I really should check him out especially now that I hear that you like them. Yeah, check out Pyramids and also the song after that, Lost. I think you'll like a lot. I think this is the kind of stuff you'd like. It's, you know, it's really good rap. And um, the album Channel Orange by Frank Ocean made my honorable mention list. So I'll go ahead and mention that. And my favorite song is from an album I listened to a lot in 2012. It's one I distinctly remember. And the album Mr. M by Lamb Chop actually made my honorable mentions list. But there's a song off of that album called Gone Tomorrow, which is so, so good. I love it. A lot of people don't like Lamb Chop. It's a very, very acquired taste. The way he sings is more like speaking than singing. I always give Frank Sinatra hell for this because I can't stand (laughs) Frank Sinatra, which pisses my father-in-law off so much. But I just think he talks. I don't think he really sings. He just kind of sing talks. I mean, I can do that. There's something about Lamb Chop. It's just really the very odd lyrics. It's his odd voice. There's something about it that compels me. And if you want to get a good start and a listen to the Lamb Chop, check out the live show. Um, and I never recommend live shows, but there's one called Merge XX, which was Merge Records' 20th anniversary. And it, it's his live show there, and he blows it out of the park. I had some friends go to that festival. I believe it was like four days long of bands, and they said that he completely stole the show. And uh, I actually had that album on vinyl. You can get it on Spotify. It's fantastic. But um, yeah, Mr. M's a good album too. It just didn't really stand the test of time all the way through. And I just enjoyed the other five albums a lot more. But yeah, 
The song Gone Tomorrow is fantastic. You should definitely check it out. The video's cool. It's got a guy preparing for a wrestling match, <laughs> which is kind of oh, funny, but awesome at the same time. So uh, since I've talked about honorable mentions with Lamb Chop and with Frank Ocean, if you don't mind, I'll just go ahead and go into my honorable mentions. Yeah, I just want to say first, I had even in researching this year, I didn't come across Lamb Chop, never heard of them, never heard of this album or that song. So as you were talking, I put that whole album into my playlist because now I want to hear it. Yeah, it's a uh, it's very interesting sound, man. <laughs> so uh, have I ever told you my Frank Sinatra story? I could tell you real quick. And... No, did he try to murder you? No, no. Why would... <laughs> Where Dude, he's a big from? mafioso guy. I don't yeah, know if you well, know his backstory, man. It's scary. I don't, but this makes my story even more interesting. Uh, <laughs> so my grandmother, when she was alive, she told me this story that my grandmother herself always hated Frank Sinatra, but she had a sister. I love your grandmother already. Yeah, yeah. But she had a sister who would have been, what, my great aunt? I guess that's how that would work who I never met because died before I was around. But my grandmother's sister loved Frank Sinatra. And once upon a time, they found out where he lived. And when he wasn't there, they broke in and stole some of his stuff. (gasps) Wow. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Jeez. Yeah. So that is... She's passed. The statute of limitations is over. (laughs) Yeah. My grandmother said her sister was obsessed with the guy, so they had to go do this. Clearly. I I just think that's one of the coolest things I ever heard. This was my grandmother who spoiled me. I worship the woman, and may she rest in peace, but that was just one of the coolest things I had ever heard, (laughs) and I love telling people that. (laughs) Oh, man, I love stories like that. That is so great, especially, you know, kind of the darker stories from your family's history, but... yeah. You know, now they just kind of become funny, which is awesome. (laughs) All right, man. Let me round out my uh, honorable mentions here. This one might have made your list. I'm kind of surprised it was in your top five, but Crystal Castle's album three uh, made my honorable mentions list. I wasn't into them past that first album. I think Mm -hmm. the first album is a masterpiece. And then when the second one came out, I was like, meh, I don't like it as much and didn't stay with them after that. Yeah, I agree. I didn't like the second album, but this third album is really good. I would say give it a listen, man. Now, did the third album have Alice, or was that after she left? Because that was the whole thing, too. There was this big controversy between uh, Alice and the and the dude in the band, and it was just kind of icky. So that, that was another thing that turned me off of it. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not familiar with the history of it. So uh, okay. I think she was probably on this one, but I can't say for 100%. Gotcha. Uh, another album that I'm surprised didn't make either of our lists was Kishibashi's 151A which I definitely yep. considered. Same here. Another band that we mentioned before on the show that uh, we love the album by Slay Bells called Treats, but they put an album out called Reign of Terror, which is really good too. Yeah. It's not as peppy as Treats, but still like has that same kind of childish feel to it. Uh, the cover is actually a white pair of kids that are dirty and they have a big blood stain on them. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> love that album cover. 
turning to a very psychedelic album cover by a guy named Father John Misty. The album Fear Fun is um, kind of a folky type album, but uh, more kind of an indie folk. It's really good. Enjoyed that one. The Dirty Projectors, which is a band I really like. Their album Swing Low Magellan is pretty good. It's not solid all the way through, but has a few good tracks on it. Reggae album by an oldie reggae guy uh, who predates Bob Marley, a guy named Jimmy Cliff. Uh, his album Rebirth is a, a really fun reggae slash rocksteady album. I would say check that one out. And then finally, um, this is a band I think you would love, Sean, mm. a band called Japan Droids and their album Celebration oh, yeah. Rock. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good album. Didn't make my list, but I definitely was spinning it the last couple of days. That's a good one. Yeah, it's got that pop punk feel to it that uh, usually I'm not a big fan of, but uh, I really dug this album and it was really good. Yeah, it definitely has a specific kind of energy that if you're in the mood for it, it really hits a spot. Yeah, definitely. Awesome. Well, for my honorable mention, I already talked about Fiona Apple, uh, Kendrick Lamar, Death Grips, The Money Store came out in 2012. Yeah. We've talked about Death Grips before. I think my opinion of them is I love the concept of Death Grips, but listening to them for long periods of time just kind of gets on my nerves. But I think that's kind of the point of their band. <laughs> like that's kind of what they're going for. Um, what else we got? Taylor Swift, Red is mm -hmm. uh, my favorite Taylor Swift album. And I'm a big fan of that. Laurel Halo is something that I discovered in the last couple of days, and I really want to take a deeper dive into this. She had an album called Quarantine, unfortunately, but <laughs> yeah, uh, too close to is, home. This is really good, um, kind of electronic, and and there was a lot of vaporwave albums, and this kind of reminded me of Bjork. If she was a little bit more vaporwave influenced, I enjoyed it, but I need to listen to it more. Uh, Modern Baseball, which is a band that I really, really love. They had an album called Sports, came mm -hmm. out in 2012, and it's probably my least favorite of their album, so it didn't quite make my list. But, you know, the worst Modern Baseball album is probably better than most bands' best albums, so <laughs> there's that. Kesha Warrior, which was an album that at the time I thought was like the greatest thing since sliced bread. But listening to it back now, and especially with her, again, knowing the history that went on there and how that album was produced, it's kind of like how it's hard to listen to Britney Spears knowing her history or yeah. these other artists we've been talking about recently. Like, But again, I just really loved that album at the time. I listened to this album, something that was new to me. Have you ever heard of this group, School of Seven Bells? I've heard of them. I have not heard of their music. They have this album called Ghost Story, which is in one word, like the S and T are shared into one word. It's go Ghost Story. <laughs> okay. But it's just a kind of pretty good ethereal, like pop album pretty catchy another thing i listened to that i thought you might like rich is this guy flat sound have you heard of that no again looking at besteveralbums.com the cover art just looked kind of nice so i listened to it a little bit and what it really reminded me of was kind of an elliot smith ripoff to be quite honest but it was decent like it sounded wow. pretty good screaming females had an album called ugly that's pretty good 
Odd Future Mixtape Volume 2, Kiari Pamyu Pamyu. It's something in Japanese that I can't remember. Sorry. But that has uh, Pom Pom Pom, which is one of her <laughs> most popular <laughs> meme songs. Oh, and the band White Lung. This almost made my list. They had an album called Sorry. Have you ever heard White Lung? Nope. Oh, you would really like them. They're like a Canadian punk band with uh, really great female vocalists. And I know you love like old uh, whole stuff and the gits and all that kind of stuff. Absolutely. I think you would enjoy White Lung. It's definitely in that same kind of vein. And then the Vaporwave stuff. Vaporwave was really big around the early 2010s. And one of the landmark albums is Blank Banshee Zero. And that came out in 2012. And then there's Deep Fantasy by Surfing. That was another one. And then I just discovered one called Friend Zone, which I hadn't heard of at the time, but I listened to it and I kind of enjoyed it. So if you're into Vaporwave, this was kind of during the heyday of Vaporwave. And then it just got oversaturated and nobody cares about Vaporwave anymore. But Oh, hey. <laughs> I still dig Vaporwave. <laughs> yeah. But it was, co- it was cool to kind of relive some of the memories of when that was really like popping off. So, yeah, yeah was cool. I wasn't there when it was popping off. I caught it on a later wave. So I still enjoy it a lot. Very cool. All right. Well, that was it. 2012. A pretty good year. I think for both of us, this was one that we went into like, yeah, let's check it out. And it's like, well, what is really here? Like, (laughs) but I think we both came up with pretty good lists and I have a few that I want to check out now. Thanks to your recommendations here. All right. Awesome. Well, before we close out the concert cast, let's talk about some shows. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, very cool. It's been since March, and I gotta tell you, man, I've been to a lot of shows, <laughs> which might be surprising to a lot of people. So, Sean, I'll let you kick it off. I almost forgot, and I have some in my notes here. I saw a band called Sincere Engineer, and they were actually opening for uh, a band called Oso Oso and another band. Uh, <laughs> Oh my God, I'm blanking on the name. <laughs> Who's that band that I saw with my friend Frank that he really likes? And uh Menzingers? Yeah, the Menzingers. Thank you. Holy <laughs> crap. I can't believe I can't believe I blanked on that. So they were opening for the Menzingers since I went only to see Sincere Engineer. And they are a band that I discovered on TikTok. The lead singer has a very funny TikTok account. And I think she's like a veterinarian or vet tech. So some of her stuff she posts from her job. And uh, just great emo punk, kind of in the same ballpark as Mannequin Pussy. So if, you know, our listeners know that I'm obsessed with them. So if you like MP, you might try Sincere Engineer. Um, But they were great. And then Oso Oso not a band that i'm like super into and after seeing sincere engineer Oso Oso was like i i hate to say boring but i was just like eh, i'm not really into this so i actually left because i wasn't interested in seeing the men singers again like i don't really <laughs> like them that much so uh sincere engineer was why i was there so i went to see them well this is sad actually i'm, I'm gonna talk about this because i talked about it on the show i had tickets to see bikini kill Mm-hmm. I bought these tickets for May of this year, May of 2022. I bought them a year before in about like March or April of 2021. 
and I was ready for the show. And I saw there were a couple things going back and forth about having proof of a certain medical procedure having been done. And I was just like, well, I'm not going to worry about it. They'll probably not care about it by the time the show rolls around. So unfortunately, we get there and I was with Corey and there was a huge line, like more than usual. And I'm like, yeah, I know this show is sold out, but uh, it's supposed to start soon. So what's going on here? So Corey came up to me and he's like, no, I just went to the door and they're checking cards. And I was like, oh, well, that sucks. All right. See you later. So we just left. Um And that was pretty sad. So I've been very careful about concerts that I buy tickets to and where I'm going to go. And it's it's a hard spot because I understand you have people like me who are kind of like, all right, screw this stuff. Like, let's get on with our lives. But then there are people who feel the opposite way. And I'm respectful Mm -hmm. of that, especially when the tickets were sold in the beginning of 2021, when the stuff was still kind of going on. So I understand why the venue and the band would have to kind of stand by what they said. It's a liability if they don't. So totally Mm -hmm. get it. I was just kind of like, meh, okay, well, whatever. Then keep my money. I don't even care. So I just wanted to wanted to talk about that because I was really excited for that show. Unfortunately, it just, just didn't happen. Yeah. I wonder if that's a band decision or if that's a venue decision or if they kind of come up with that decision together. It's, it's sort of odd because like you, I've experienced it two different ways and I always keep my card on me just in case, but I don't wear masks at the events and stuff like that unless, you know, I'm asked to, I had that with the psychedelic furs. There were people getting turned away because of that, but they were, you know, really upfront about it. Uh, and it wasn't a rescheduled show like yours was. So, uh, yeah, I'm just curious on who makes those decisions. You know what I mean? I think I have a little bit of insight into that with the last show I'm going to talk about that I went to. So my friend Frank, again, Frank Barberry, who's been on this show before and is a friend of mine from New Jersey who now lives in Austin. He asked me if I wanted to go see his friend's band, which is called Gates. And it was at some other club. I forget what the name of the club was, but I was like, hey, are they are they checking papers at this place? Because otherwise I can't get in. He said, no, they're not. You should be fine. And in fact, and this is the first time this has ever happened to me because his buddy was in the band. He and I were on the guest list. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, is the first time that's ever happened. It was velvet rope treatment. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) For the first time in my life, we got to walk up to the host and say, we're on the guest list. (laughs) 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 The friend's band called Gates, they were like a a pretty cool progressive rock indie ish, just like a loud guitar band with like a mellow feel, almost shoegazy. I think you might want to give them a spin, but it was just cool to hang out downtown with my friend Frank and see his friend's band and catch up with him. And what I found out, like going to this venue, I looked on their website And I think it has more to do with the actual bands themselves because I I thought, oh, this was a pretty cool venue. It was easy to get to and they're not checking papers. So who else is coming through? And I saw that the Meat Puppets were playing. So I was like, oh, I'm going to get a ticket to the Meat Puppets. I think it was Meat Puppets and Mud Honey, which would be which is a really great bill. Oh, man. My wife and I love the Meat Puppets. Yeah. So however, when I went to buy the tickets, it said... At the musician's request, all attendees must blah, 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 blah. And I was like, oh, okay, so never mind. 
<laughs> I hate that for you, man. I really do. It's okay. It's, you know, these are the choices we make. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, let me get into my show list. I have seen four shows since the last time we spoke, Sean. Awesome. I'll mention this show. I was really shocked. It was a great show. I'd mentioned I'd seen Smashing Pumpkins back in <laughs> 1997, and it was one of the worst shows I had ever seen in my life. Well, my neighbor, Game Rulers, No Account Dad, had an extra ticket to go see Smashing Pumpkins, and he said, Dude, it's Lawn Seats. It's 25 bucks. It's local at a um, outdoor, smaller venue. We'll go get some drinks and some dinner before. And I was like, yeah, man, I'll give it another shot. I mean, I do like Smashing Pumpkins music. It's just that bad taste in my mouth from that show from 97. And uh, I got to say, man, they redeemed themselves. Uh, They were on it. Billy Corgan was great. He's always been known as a little abrasive, but I think he's mellowed out a lot in his older years and realizes that he needs to play to the crowd and to his fans, and he's much more appreciative. Uh, he was very awesome, spoke to the crowd a lot. They played some great songs. They sounded fantastic. It's one of the best-sounding shows I've ever been to. They really had the sound dialed in for it. It was good to see a lot of younger people there, a lot of teenage guys and girls who were really into the Smashing Pumpkins. So, it's, you know, good to see that that era of music is still alive. So it was a fun show, man. And I was really happy that I went. If I could jump in here, you said a few things that I want to harp on. First of all, I'm very glad that they redeemed themselves in your eyes. Uh, that is really cool. And second of all, it's cool to hear that there were a lot of younger people at the show. And I think I might have one of the reasons. And that is because the Smashing Pumpkins have one of the best accounts on TikTok. And after my uh, the damn TikTok, after my TikTok monologue, <laughs> the last episode, I'm trying not to talk about it too much. However, they have one of the best accounts on TikTok because they are very self-aware. They make a lot of jokes and that one of the memes about their account is that it's a Gerard Way fan account. So because my chemical romance was very influenced by smashing pumpkins and i think gerard way and billy corgan have a lot of similarities they they look very similar they they have a lot of the same uh vocal stylings and all this stuff and i think they're buds with each other in real life but one of the jokes is that the smashing pumpkins account is either run by or is a fan account of gerard way it's so funny that's but, hilarious so that might be and it's like a huge account so that might be you know a lot of young people on tiktok probably discovering the smashing pumpkins through that account that's cool, man. Whatever it takes to keep you relevant. You know what I mean? Oh, exactly. Give you some longevity. Yeah. Well, the second show that I went to, these were actually tickets for my daughter for her birthday. My daughter's really into 80s music, which uh, my wife and I have ruined her with. Or, you know, <laughs> I wouldn't say ruined, but I would say, you know, Spoiled. refined her palate. There you go. So we got to see Tears for Fears. Man. Oh, man. oh, my God. What an incredible show. I've talked about them on the show before. My favorite concert that I had ever been to was seven years prior. My wife and I saw them in a small club in Charlotte. And 
I was just captivated. And we both agree, best show we've ever seen. And so this was the second time seeing them. Did not have the magic of the first time, which, you know, is understandable. And this was at a large outdoor venue. Uh, the band Garbage opened for them, which, eh, I could give or take Garbage. I'm not a big fan, but they did put on a good show. But Tears for Fears is coming off a really solid album that they put out this year. And I got to say, man, it was an amazing show. My daughter was just captivated. And to see my 14-year-old daughter just singing like all these Tears for Fears songs, it uh, you know just had a little warm place in dad's heart. So uh, it's a fantastic show and glad we went to that. That's awesome. And it's both guys, right? It's uh Oh yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, cuz I know they they did one album broken up way back when, but have been back together for a long time now, right? Yeah, well let me put it this way. The guy that plays bass, it's the guy with the lighter hair, not the darker hair guy, you know, usually carries the long hair, though it's very gray hair now. He's he's kind of gone all natural. The guy that plays the bass it seems like on the newer albums, he's not front and center. It seems like he's kind of touring just to play a lot of the older songs. Okay. So kind of the creative mind behind the newer stuff. And I, I'm sorry, I can't think of these guys' names right now. Um, is the other guy, uh, the guitar player. And um, they had a girl on stage with him that sang like three or four songs. who's was fantastic. And I, I wish I could remember her name. Uh, but, uh, man, it was, it was an awesome show. It was so, so good. But I do think that, uh, the guy that plays bass has taken a little bit of a backseat as far as the creativity and the music production, but they seem to get along well, seem to be good friends and, you know, put on a great show for the fans. So, uh, yeah, man, cool show. Awesome. And then a few weeks ago, my buddy from my hometown and I went to go see Roger Waters. Oh, Man, <laughs> yeah, this was uh, a slight grail show for me, uh, you know, because I, I love Pink Floyd so much, as I know you do. Yeah. And I would love to see the original lineup together. But, you know, you know, that's never going to happen. So it was both of our first time seeing Roger Waters. I was so glad to have my buddy going with me because we're such big fans. And my wife was like, I'll go with you if you want me to. And I was kind of like, I got to go with somebody who's really into it, you know. So, um the show was great musically. We had great seats. The tickets were not expensive. Oh, uh, really? which I, oh yeah. Uh, you could get tickets for 35 bucks, man. Wow. Yeah. I think that's what I paid for that Bikini Kill show I didn't go to. <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah. yeah, now those are upper level tickets. We paid like 95 bucks for ours, which I think still very reasonable the way concert tickets are going today. And we were down low over in a corner and we were really close to the stage and can see everything really well. Like I said, the music was good. Roger Waters is very political. Yeah. And before the show started, there was like a countdown, like there's this kind of big screen. It was like the show will start in 15 minutes. And then the show will start in 10 minutes. The show will start in five minutes. The show will start in one minute. And then after that minute was up, the screen read something to the effect of, this is a Roger Waters show. If you don't agree with Roger Waters' politics, it's probably a good time to step back to the bar and fuck off. Right? Really? Yes. Oh, my God. So they start playing the music, and the entire time on the big screen that's over them, 
it's nothing but political stuff, like highly political, controversial stuff. I don't mind someone having politics, you know, and it's fine. But what happened was, was that the politics overshadowed the music. And, um, you know, even people that I talked to, I said, I went to see Roger Waters. They're like, yeah, my buddy went to go see them, said that the show was really strange and political. And the music was great. It was beautiful, but it really took away from the show, you know, as a whole. So that was a little bit disappointing and disheartening. I feel like the politics are already in the music, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And you don't just need to throw it in people's faces, but every song was like that. It really, really was a shame. Am I upset that I went? No, I'm happy that I went. I would go again if I had the choice. The music was fantastic, like I said, and the closest I'm ever going to get to seeing my favorite band of all time. So, uh, yeah, I'm glad I went, but um, it's a little bit disappointing in certain ways, you know? Wow, man. Because you posted some of this in our group chat, and I was like, yep, that's Roger Waters. But I didn't really understand the extent of it. Yeah. And even with with Roger Waters, it's interesting because he's – He's a person who <laughs> I probably emphatically agree with about half of his positions and emphatically disagree with the other Yes. Half. He's he, all over the place, man. Definitely. It's crazy. So that would be He hates everyone. <laughs> he really does. That would be really strange and I don't have any like I don't have any aversion to listening to in fact, most of the music I listen to politically is probably opposed to most of my personal views, but you yeah. know, that's what art is. Uh, it's sure. meant to challenge you, but to man, that message that you said he put up in the beginning, that just blows my mind in, in a bad way. Yeah, no, that's hundred percent true. That's what it said, you know, right before the, uh, the screen lifted up over top of those guys and, uh, amazing. They played comfortably numb. So, uh, yeah, crazy show, man. But again, glad I went. And then this past Sunday, only six days ago, my 11-year-old son and I drove to Asheville, North Carolina to see Ghost and Mastodon. So it was awesome, man. It was such an awesome show. (laughs) My uh, middle son is a metalhead. My other kids like metal, but they're not as into it as he is. I had two tickets, and it was supposed to be myself, my friend from work, her husband, and their friend and my wife was supposed to go, but we had a soccer tournament this weekend and I could tell my wife was kind of into it, kind of not. She does like Ghost a lot, but that type of music is not her forte. Well, Saturday came around. My son was like really disappointed that we hadn't gotten him a ticket. He's been disappointed for months. And I said, hey, buddy. How would you like to go to the ghost show tomorrow? Dude, he jumped up, started jumping (laughs) on the couch. He was so excited. And so we went and he had such a blast. We had such a good uh, father-son time together. And I would say it's one of my top 10 shows, man. Mastodon was awesome. And then Ghost, man, they brought the house down. It was such a great, great show. Great crowd. I think my son might have been the youngest person at that show, which is kind of funny. There weren't a lot of young people at all. But uh, yeah, it was awesome to spend that time with him and to also see a great band. A few great bands, actually. 
Yeah, that's really cool. Wasn't Ghost in your albums of the decade in the show I was talking about? I can't remember if it was in my albums of the decade or not. I I, I can't I think really recall that. But their new album, man, is fantastic. Yeah. It's got like a real kind of 80s vibe to it that's really awesome. So I would highly recommend checking out Imperium. Very cool. All right, man. Well, that was a good concert cast. That was like a, yeah. a throwback to the old days <laughs> when we used to go to shows. <laughs> right. They're coming back, baby. All right, man. Let's uh, roll into news. I don't have any real news. I just have more of a statement to make, Sean, and oh. uh, I want to get your thoughts on. I just want to say that I'm really f- tired of hearing the word grail. Okay. All right. I just got my grail <laughs> on social media. All the, this is my grail game. And it'll be like something like fucking Super Mario World. <laughs> I mean, really? Like, we are overusing this word. I'm so sick of it. It's worse than Hidden Gem now. Every page that I'm on, like on Facebook, social media, oh, I just got my grail today. And it's like the most simple thing ever. Now, maybe it's just me. And I'm not judging people for thinking of the word grail differently. But when we say the word grail, we're clearly making a reference to Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, right? This is something that's impossible to find, something you thought you would never own. And one of a kind. Exactly. You can't get your grail every weekend. You got a new grail. That's right. I mean, there was only one Holy Grail in existence, exactly. right? You can't do that shit all the time. Yeah. Oh, man. I'm just so frustrated and angry about this. And I usually don't come on the show to rant, but man, I had to today. That's really funny. You know, <laughs> video game Twitter is so stupid, man. Like, <laughs> what's where game collecting's gotten to now? This yeah. is where we're at now. Oh, we're just yeah. bozos collecting. Oh, my God. And I think part of the problem is the way games have spiked. And yes. Certain things have a monetary price that would have been unheard of four years ago or whatever. In fact, I actually posted something on Twitter that I found very interesting. I don't know if you saw it, but I was looking through my previous Amazon orders for something, and I found an order where I ordered Persona 3 Portable, which is worth like $150 now, Parasite Eve 3, the third birthday, which is not a huge value, but it's like a $60 game now, and some other one that was worth like 100 And the grand total of the Amazon order was $47. Right. And uh, that was in 2014. But now somebody could call Persona 3 Portable their grail because it's a $200 game. But what I would kind of submit to you is that in the day and age of the internet, it's almost like... I get I get where your criticism is because it's almost like calling everything unique or everything is the best thing that's ever happened. That's kind of the culture of social media, though. Everything that you experience is either the best thing that's ever happened or the worst thing that's ever happened. There's yes. no nuance. There's nothing in Absolutely. the middle. You can't get attention by saying, hey, check out these pickups I got over the weekend. You know, like 
Nobody yeah. really cares. You have to emphasize it somehow and say, I've been looking for this game for years. It's a holy grail of mine. And again, next week you get a different game. This is a holy grail. I, super rare. I can't believe I found it. You know? There's nobody having a normal fucking day on social media. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, you're, you're making me think of the things. Like my least favorite thing I see on social media, there's two. One is pick only one or you have to eliminate one. And there's four different pictures of four totally different disparate things that have nothing in common with each other (laughs) or it's like four awesome things and it's like i don't care like this doesn't make sense to like pick one you know what i mean yeah or the other thing i don't like and i try to be empathetic because there's younger people getting into the hobby where it's like hey who remembers this game and it's super mario 3 and it's like (laughs) literally everybody remembers it even the young kids because it's on switch online or whatever you know what i mean (laughs) it's bad man and you know i'm not one to shit on video game collectors it happens in every hobby i collect vinyl you know i have pinball machines i'm on those pages as well same thing Oh, my grill. It's my grill. Yeah, it's my grill. You know, and it'll be like a machine that came out like a year ago. It's not rare at all. And I'm like, it is, man. It's it's such a cock flex now. You know, I mean, everything is on social media. I don't know. It's frustrating. It's one of the most frustrating things that is in every hobby that I'm a part of. And, uh, you know, it's just maybe kind of taking a step back and evaluate you know, my collecting and, and things like that. So, uh, yeah, I don't know, man. I, I just had to bring that up. <laughs> no, it was a good gripe. That, <laughs> definitely social media and video gaming can be very annoying sometimes. Uh, old man yells at Cloud. Yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs>
All right, Sean. So why don't we roll in the pickups? Sean, what air quote grails did you pick up in the last few months? (laughs) (laughs) That's really funny. I was trying to think if I could make any of these into grails. It's funny, Rich. I don't. And kind of going back to, oh, there's no good video game stores in Raleigh. It's not worth (laughs) it's not worth even going there. Um, when we were in Wilmington, I went to that, what is it called? Yellow Dog, the record store. Yep. So I went to the Yellow Dog, which you were right. It was very cool. And they had video games in the back. And I was looking and I saw they had a copy of Godzilla for the NES. Ooh. And I don't own that. And they wanted 25 bucks for it. And I did the dead move and I looked it up on price charting and it's price charting for 25 bucks so i was like sorry man instead of supporting this local store i'm going to you know if i'm patient i can get it for cheaper than that so i ended up not buying it and it made me realize like i don't collect old games anymore like even you'll you're about to see my scores here it's all stuff for the playstation 4 and nintendo switch because those are the consoles that i can't like emulate or pirate basically <laughs> so yeah and well, let's be honest, that was just something for the shelf, right? I mean, you're a huge Godzilla fan. So whether you would have played it or not. Yes. Oh, absolutely. With that caveat, that was more for it being Godzilla memorabilia than being a video game that I wanted. Absolutely true. Irony, I'm wearing our Godzilla shirts right now. That's amazing. I wore mine this morning when I went grocery shopping. (laughs) Twinsies. Very cool. All right. Well, anyway, I got to talk about something really cool that's non-video game related before we go into the video games. So I had two amazing anime scores from two of our best friends. So first was the Pocky X. We have talked about Satoshi Kon on the show before, the anime director. Mm-hmm. So I had talked with him about the show that Satoshi Kon made called Paranoia Agent because he and I were tweeting about how it was coming out on Blu-ray. So I actually pre-ordered it. And when I got the Blu-ray, it came with a digital code. It wasn't even like right after I got it. It was on the shelf for a long time. But I ended up watching the show earlier this year and i said hey man this paranoia agent came with a digital code you want to trade for something and he was like yeah sure how about this and he sends me a picture of these two macross box sets Mm -hmm. and what i didn't realize at the time was he was trying to blow my mind with that picture but all i saw was two anime box sets of dvds they weren't even blu-rays and i was like oh yeah, sure. That's really cool. I've heard of Macross. I would like to check that out. Oh, yeah. So we made the trade and he ended up shipping those to me. I got them and they were sitting on my shelf for a while. And keep in mind, I gave him a digital code that I didn't need that came with a Blu-ray that I bought for myself. So in a sense, I lost nothing, right? <laughs> I gave nothing. What I didn't realize was that these freaking dvds that he sent me these two box sets the combined value of them is approximately a thousand dollars and when i found this out i was like worried (laughs) because i was like does he know what he sent me 
And I was in a position where I'm like, do I say something? Do I not say something? Do I be honest? Do I offer to send them back or whatever? So I sent him a message and it was like, hey man, like I don't know if you realize this, but like these Blu-rays, and I, I looked at it, like there's hardly any comps on eBay. Like they're really hard to find. I was like, I don't know if you know this, bro, but these DVDs are holy grails to somebody. <laughs> like they're very <laughs> rare and valuable. Did you know this? And he was like, Oh yeah, I knew, bro. He's like, I just thought you would enjoy them more than I would. Wow. I was like, what the hell, dude? <laughs> and I told him, no way in hell I'm ever going to sell them ever. That is just one of the coolest gesture. And the fact that I didn't know what it was, I think made it even cooler. Because if I knew what it was, I would have been like, hell no. Like, what are you, crazy? I'm not taking these DVDs from you for the stupid digital code. Like... Yeah. The fact that I discovered it after it was already in my possession made it like a little bit more special because I was like, holy crap. You know what I mean? Like this yeah. has a lot of value and it's just really cool. So that was the first one. Uh, <laughs> well, let me say uh, before you go on. Yeah, go ahead. I've met Tom before. He's an awesome guy. Uh, one of the things we bonded over at dinner was actually talking about Perfect Blue. Yeah. So yeah, uh, he's just a really nice, fantastic person. I've worked with him in the past. I have some of his artwork on my wall and don't want to spoil anything, but uh, he and I are actually collaborating on some art pieces right now. So oh, that's uh, so awesome. Yeah. So I'll have to let you know how that goes on a later show. And I will say he also, in addition to sending me these priceless DVDs, he sent me a piece of his artwork, speaking of priceless. So wow, uh, I threw that in a frame. It's actually sitting right next to me. So yeah, that was one of the coolest trades I ever did just because of like the way it played out and how it happened. So uh, just a memory I will cherish. And I did make a couple TikToks about it. So <laughs> <laughs> Awesome, man. And then the other one, which is almost as cool, but it happened in a different way. I was just chatting with our good friend, Disposed Hero, and he was like, hey, man, I know you're you're into anime and collecting and stuff, and uh, I'm thinking about thinning out my collection a little bit of my anime Blu-rays. I'm just not really as into them as I thought I would be. And I was like, well, like, maybe. Like, what do you got? And I said, if we're talking giving <laughs> maybe like if we're talking giving them to me most probably i'll take them but selling i'm not so sure i don't really need any of that stuff so he sends me a picture and it's all great stuff like it's like every studio ghibli movie it's some pretty hard to find like tv series and it has some really popular tv series that i didn't have like one punch man which is a very popular and I didn't have that physically. So, and I, I love that show. So just a lot of stuff. And, uh, he ended up saying like, yeah, I just want to get rid of them. So just pay me shipping and we'll, we'll call it a deal. So like, man, these people like this generosity wave that just washed over me with these good young men. Like I, I hope I can repay it to somebody someday because he sent me like 50 Blu-rays, man. Wow. Like in this huge, gigantic box. And I had to do a series of TikToks to go through that haul, like a, a three video series to get through everything. So, and my wife and I have already been watching a lot of the movies that he sent. So that was pretty amazing. 
I'm a firm believer in karma, man. So, uh, yeah, pay that forward. Yeah. When you do nice things for people, good things really happen. I've seen that a ton of times during my life. And uh, before you move on to video games, I just want to say that uh, my 11-year-old is really into anime now. So you'll have to give me some recommendations. He's been watching Death Note. Oh, yes. Death Note. An <laughs> 11-year-old watching Death Note. I'm trying to think about that because that's a pretty that's a pretty dark show for an 11-year-old to be watching. But. Yeah. He told me about it. He was describing it to me. And I was like, damn, that's uh, kind of a really cool concept. I'm not necessarily into that sort of anime. But um, yeah, incredible concept. He wants to watch Attack on Titan. But uh, uh, I don't know. I think he can handle it. I think he would be all right. Yeah, I don't know what you're more concerned with for your kids, whether it's violence or sex, but there's no sex in either one of those shows, but they are very violent. So. No, violence is fine. We've watched all the like 80s, like Schwarzenegger, yeah, Stallone yeah. movies, Die Hard, all that stuff. So, you know, he has a, a very firm grasp on reality, you know, movies. So I don't worry about that with him. Yeah. And I think Death Note, for what it's worth, has some good lessons in it, like the rise and fall of someone with good intentions kind of thing. Like that's a really good show. Cool. All right. Well, let's get into video game collecting. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I actually did a trade with Bill who we've talked about twice now in this episode. He's the star of the show here. It's it's funny, man. I was playing uh, super Mario Odyssey on the switch. I was playing Uh it with my wife because you can do, a little bit of a two-player mode where the second player controls the hat. Nice. And I was playing this game, having a pretty good time, running around, going around the first world, collecting the moons. I was like, oh, no, collecting moons. Hmm, where is this going to go? <laughs> so I played through this whole first level, went back to the spaceship to go to the next level. And it's like, you don't have enough moons to power the spaceship. And immediately quit the game, turn it off, pulled it out of the Switch, never to play again. And I tweeted, Super Mario Odyssey has gated progression straight in the trash. <laughs> yeah. and My six-year-old just beat it, by okay. the way. <laughs> <laughs> so I can't remember if he messaged me or replied to my tweet. He's like, hey, are you serious? Like, I'm looking for a copy of that. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we worked out nice. a trade where I sent him uh, Super Mario Odyssey, and he sent me New Super Mario Brothers U, which is the Wii U version that they re-released for the Switch, which is more up me and my wife's alley for couch co-op. And uh, when he showed me what he had, I said, oh, you got that Borderlands Handsome collection there too. Can you throw that in? And I think he said... Uh, I'm trying to remember how this trade went because it was a, f- you know, when you negotiate, oh, yeah, I'll throw that in. And do you have this? And do you have that? <laughs> I think he wanted like a wee nunchuck. And I was like, yeah, I got like 50 of those. You can definitely have a wee nunchuck. So uh, we ended up making that trade. So thank you, Bill, nice. for that. And then a bunch of stuff that I just bought of like Amazon and eBay. I got 13 Sentinels aegis war which is funny because i was like waiting for it to come out on switch and then when it finally did the playstation 4 version is like 30 dollars, and the switch is 60 so i ended up buying on the playstation 4 anyway i got the shadow of war like remastered deluxe pack even though i realized i don't have the first game and i thought i did but i bought it because it was like eight bucks on amazon or something like that it was just super cheap 
I got the Metal Max Neo, whatever it was called, which was on the Switch. This is like a remake of a a Vita game, and it's kind of a long-running series. And then after I bought this game, it got like pretty bad reviews, so I'm not sure if I'm going to hold on to it or play it. In the reviews, people are saying it's way harder than it should be, so that's like a real turnoff for me. I got Monster Hunter Stories 2, which is a Switch game that's a sequel to a 3DS game that I also have. American Dream, which is a VR game I got from Limited Run Games. That's one of those things I ordered however many months ago and then pretty much <laughs> forgot about it. And yeah. Finally got a shipping company. I'm pretty sure there's some floating out there for me yeah. as well. <laughs> I'm about to start getting back into VR soon because it's a little bit cooler at night it's a little bit darker earlier so we're getting into that kind of vr season pretty soon here um i got neo the world ends with you for the switch i really love that first game and uh i want to try out this newer one on the switch i got near replicant the remake on the ps4 it's kind of funny one my wife tried to get me this for christmas and the order got canceled and she didn't realize it and it was just kind of a funny like wait i got you something else i got you that near game what the hell happened to it and it just turned out that the we had to do a little forensic investigation in her amazon account and just found out that the order had gotten canceled by the the seller so i ended up just waiting for the price to hit a point that i was happy with and just bought it for myself and then lastly i got Oh, there's a couple more, actually. I got Sakuna. I forget what the full title is. Something with rice. But this is supposed to be like a... Yeah, I have that. Oh, okay. I think Yeah, I think you talked about it in a previous show, didn't you? I did. Yeah, so I ended up getting that, too, because I saw it in a YouTube video about, like, uh, relaxing type of games. And that's like a, a farming sim kind of RPG, I think. And I like yep. those kind of things. And then I got the uh, Phantom Brave, and there's another game on it. Man, I really did a bad job of... I shorthanded my list so much that I can't remember <laughs> the full titles of these games. But it was Phantom Brave and one of the other NIS games that came out on the PS2. They're remastering them for the Switch, and they're coming out with different ones every every couple of months. And that was the first one. And it was just, again, at a price point that I really liked. And I figure these things aren't going to get gigantic print runs. And not that I'm calling it an investment, but Switch games out of all of the current consoles, Switch games tend to pop off in value kind of unpredictably. So something from a company like this, I figured I'll drop the 25 or 30 bucks or whatever it was for this cool like double pack in a cool box. So I ended up getting that. And I think that's everything. Sorry, my notes are really sloppy. Oh, and I got Xenoblade Chronicles 3, which I'll talk about And what are you playing. Very nice, man. Very nice. Yeah. Ooh, man, that's a lot of pickups for you. Yeah, it kind of is. I went through a spurt <laughs> of just kind of browsing Amazon. I don't know. I must have had some kind of money burning a hole in my pocket where I bought like some cheap games or affordable games as they were coming out or older stuff that was just under $10 or whatever. But yeah, I had a good flow going for a little bit there. Very nice. Well, I've got several pickups and that's really because the length of time that we last recorded, honestly, in the last 
three months or so, I haven't picked up anything. I've been really focusing on my vinyl collecting because as far as my video game collecting is concerned, I'm kind of where I want to be right now. And I'm only looking for maybe a handful of things actively. I'll pick up some stuff every once in a while. A few weeks ago, I picked up a copy of Bionic Commando for the Game Boy Color. Bionic Commando is one of those games that's always frustrated the hell out of me on the NES and one that I've always wanted to go through and beat, but I've never been able to do that. For those who know about Bionic Commando, you can't jump in the game. All you can do is shoot and use this mechanical claw to pull yourself up on platforms. And, you know, when you throw it at an angle, you start swinging and it's just a really, really frustrating game for people that are used to platformers where you can jump. So... I picked that up for the Game Boy Color. I also picked up a copy of Trapped, that's T-R-A-P-T, for the PS2. This is a sequel to the Deception games, which uh, I think we might talk about a little bit later, Sean, right? That's correct. (laughs) And then I love the Saturn, and recently I've been picking up a lot of Japanese Saturn games. Now, these are, you know, mostly shmups and beat-em-ups and games like that because I don't know Japanese. So I picked up several titles, Bulk Slash, Bokan 2 Ipatsu, which is a kind of cartoony shooter. I picked up a copy of Saturn Bomberman Fight. Because, as you all know, that Saturn Bomberman, the edition where you can play multiplayer on, is very expensive. But this one was not, so I ended up getting that. I don't play a lot of fighting games. For some reason, I picked up Real Bout Garu Densetsu Special. And what that is, it's a Fatal Fury game. And um, it has some additional characters to it. And looked like a really cool fighting game on the Saturn. I've never really played many fighting games on that system. So, you know, I wanted to get it to check it out. It was really cheap. So I picked that up. I picked up a copy of Tenshi Wo Karu 2. And what that is, is a beat-em-up, but it's in the feudal Japanese style. Looks like a really cool game. It goes by another title because it was localized for the arcade, and I can't remember what that was. But when I mentioned it, I know uh, Steven, Disposed Hero, he's like, oh my god, I didn't know they made that game for the Saturn. I was like, yeah, man, you definitely need to pick this up. So, you know, that really piqued his interest. I picked up a shmup known as Steam Hearts from my local game store. This is a cool shooter, but from what I understand, it's a little bit racy. So there's some cutscenes that, you know, are a little bit controversial. So I'll just put that out there for people interested in shmups. I picked up a copy of Sengoku Blade, another shmup. A copy of Wolf Fang SS, which is a sort of mech platformy shooter in the vein of a game like Turrican and Super Turrican that were put out for the Genesis and for the Super Nintendo. And uh, that seems to be a big series. I picked up a game called The Game Paradise, which is a shmup, but it is kind of a cute up where you're playing inside of the toy store, and one level, I think you're inside of a crane machine shooting, so it's a real cute game. picked up a copy of the shmup Guardian Force, which is a tank shooter. I picked up Elevator Action Returns which I actually have an arcade machine of elevator action. This one's quite different as it's, you know, kind of a really updated shooter. And so those are all the games that I picked up. 
I picked up a handheld system. I actually traded in a boxed PSP that I had. It was the Silver Need for Speed Edition, I believe it was. And I got a Lavender Hannah Montana PSP. Oh, nice. I didn't realize that. <laughs> Have you ever seen those? Yeah, absolutely. That's... Yeah, they're beautiful, man. It's it's really cool. I'm not into Hannah Montana. I don't want to put that out there. I don't want to stain my reputation like that. <laughs> but uh, I just really like with handhelds collecting sort of the quirky ones, you know, the ones that aren't the normal ones that come out. Like um, for the DS, I have like this really pretty blue edition, but it's for DS pets. You remember like those series with all the animals and stuff? Yeah. Uh, well, they put out like a DS handheld that's fairly rare. So I got that um, for the 2DS. I've got the Zelda version of that. So I, I definitely like picking up the untraditional consoles and the, you know, rare to find ones. So uh, I got that. And then the final thing I picked up on Bill's visit, we went to one of my local game stores. It's the one that I do the outdoor events with the owner and I are really cool. And um, his employee was working there. He said, Rich, I got something that you might be interested in in the back. I was like, well, what is it? He said, it's a box 2600. Well, I've got several 2600s. As everyone knows, Atari is, hands down, one of my favorite systems of all time, and what I grew up on, but I didn't have a box system. I said, okay, well, let me look at it. So he brings it out. I pull it out of the box. This thing looks like it's never been used, Sean. All the paperwork, everything's in twisty ties and plastic bags, and the box is in really nice shape, except for, you know, the end where they opened it. You know, it's got a little bit of damage, but it's not bad at all. It's really crispy. And I take it out of the box, and it is an original Heavy Sixer, which if anyone doesn't know, the Heavy Sixer is typically heavier. It has rounded wood grain corners on it, and it has six switches. And on the bottom, it will have a label on it that says manufactured in Sunnydale, California. And this was before they sent production overseas. So this is the OG original Atari 2600. He was like, yeah, it's just an Atari. I thought you might like it. It won't be much. And like you, (laughs) we're talking about the situation with Pocky X. I was just like, you know, I could just really steal this from them for a good price. Or I could let them know what they have and just be honest about the whole deal. You know, yeah, they don't buy Atari stuff usually because they can't sell it. I'm the only person that will buy their stuff. They get something in that's interesting and so i told him i said do you know what you got here and he was like no but we wanted to show it to you to get you to value it for us i was (laughs) like well damn i want to buy it uh so um i said i gotta be honest with you man this is you know this is an original this is heavy six or i said this is the most prized atari 2600 out there this is the og you know it's 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 nice it's like it's never been played yeah man holy grail (laughs) and 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 that could be for someone you know because especially in that condition i can see that and we looked online man they're going for like 600 bucks the owner walked in and i talked to him and he's like i won't be able to sell it to anybody but you why don't you just give me this for it and it was an amazing price i'm not going to say what i paid for it um but I got it for much, 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 much less than what it was going for on eBay. And Bill can uh, verify the story if asked. And uh, yeah, it's one of those cases again, man. Karma 
is what it's all about. If I would have bought that from them at a incredibly low price and them not knowing what they had, if they ever found out about that, it could cause a big rift. You know, I just respect these guys so much. I respect their business. I want them to stay around and I want to be fair to them. So I put the ball in their court and let them make me a fair offer. And, uh, you know, we struck a deal. And, uh, dude, I was so, so excited leaving that store. That's awesome. Yeah. So those are all my pickups. Very cool. Congratulations on that 2600, man. Thanks, man. I know it's not exciting for a lot of people, but, you know, for someone like me, it's just an incredible piece to add to my collection. No, and you remind me, every time I hear Heavy Sixer, I think about, and I'm sure I've told this story on the show before, another quick story was when I was, oh man, I had to be very young because I know the house we lived in and it was when I was a maximum of five years old. We had this wall unit and I I was kicking it and noticed it was, I could make it rock if I pushed it with my foot and the wall unit was rocking, rocking. And the Atari 2600 on top of this wall unit fell down and, and hit me in the skull. And uh, I'm lucky I didn't Sorry, die. I don't mean to laugh. <laughs> no, it's funny. In <laughs> retrospect, I still have a dent in my head from it. And that's why I'm so stupid. But it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just a funny story because I'm different from you that I played Atari 600 a lot when I was a kid, but I don't consider that getting into video games like Nintendo NES is when I felt like I was into video games, quote unquote. So it's a weird way to think about that. But that Atari broke my head open. Scarred you for life. Yeah, literally. (laughs) (laughs) All right, man, let's move on into games played. Do you want me to start? Uh, yeah, that's, that's fine. I don't have too many. You may, yeah, me you may either, think I so. got a ton, but I kind of don't. So. <laughs> well, I always worry, you know, but, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I'm continuing to play the phone game call of Antia again, a tile based game. You can join alliances and stuff like that. My alliance is on the 12th server, which was opened. And so the people on the original servers have had more time with the game, but I'm happy to say that my alliance has gotten as high as number two in the world. That's pretty cool, man, to go that nice. far back. Yeah, uh, we get a lot cool. of props for that. So, uh, yeah, it's fun uh, to play with this group that I play with. And uh, don't know how much longer it'll last, but i um, still enjoying playing it, so I do. And then the final thing, on my wish list on RF Generation, I have a game called Oniken Plus Odalis Collection. This was actually released in China on the Switch, and I'm trying to get a copy of it, but it's running for about 200 bucks now. And I just really don't want to pay that for a Switch game. So I'm on Twitter one day and my Wario notification pops up. <laughs> and there is a download on the Switch of this collection of both of these games for $2.99. Nice. So, of course, I download it. And uh, I've been playing Odalis Collection. It's a really cool game. It reminds me a lot of Castlevania. It has a little bit of backtracking, but not much. Um, But yeah, it's just sort of in that style. Um, One of the other gameplay elements is a bit of puzzles, moving boxes and stuff like that. Um, You know, jumping on cliffs and being able to hang and pull yourself up, which is something that, you know, you really don't do in any of the Castlevania games but is a nice little addition to this retro throwback. So uh, I definitely recommend it. 
I don't think I would pay that excessive price for a Switch edition, but I can say I definitely recommend you know, $2.99 as a download for this. I don't download a lot of stuff, but I thought in this case uh, that was my best option. So uh, yeah, that's it. It's all I've been playing. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And I I don't want to spiral off into another rabbit hole, but you're making me think of there was a time in my life when I was quote unquote physical only. And I know you have had those feelings in the past as well. Sure. And it's something I see a lot in uh, on social media, especially on TikTok. There's a lot of ardent physical only people still. Mm-hmm. And I've always thought like, you know, you buying that game for $2.99 doesn't take away from you still wanting a physical copy of it. No. And the only thing you would lose by not downloading that game for $2.99 is that you would never play the game, right? So never have that experience. Exactly. So other than your $2.99, you don't lose anything by downloading it. And then they, there's the argument, well, digital rights management, you don't actually own it and blah, blah, blah. So I don't know about you in this situation, but for me, when I download a game, I'm accepting the fact that in five years, 10 years, whatever time it is that they take down the servers or whatever, or they just remove it from my machine. I'm willing to take that risk. I don't even care. Like most digital games, I'm like you, I'm a bargain hunter. I'm going to pay a buck, two bucks, five bucks. Like that's just something I accept. So it's funny. And I used to be, I will never download anything. I'm a physical collector. I'm physical only. If I don't own it, then I don't own it. Like... (laughs) To the point, it's like one of my holy grails used to be the misadventures of Tron Bond. Mm-hmm. And with the, with the price of the way it is now, I will <laughs> never have a copy of that in my collection. Uh, but I've downloaded it and played it digitally. And, yeah. you know, the alternative to that is that I never play the game ever. So that's the kind of point I'm getting to is that I played the game and I can still want a physical copy. So it's a win-win. Yeah, I had somebody in the group the other day post a copy of Rule of Rose. I got my grill, $400, which probably is a decent deal right now for that game, you know, but I'm going to have a fun October. And I put down below, I said, you're going to have a really frustrating and janky October is what you're going to have. Fair enough. I mean, you know, it's a cool game. It's got a cool atmosphere, but it's not a great game, you know? Yeah. So there's that too. Uh, wow, man, this has been a real fucking soapboxy episode, hasn't it, yeah. This is what <laughs> I mean, happens when we don't record for eight months or whatever. It's this, is, this is what happens when <laughs> we rebrand ourselves. So <laughs> right, right, all you right. motherfuckers, uh, welcome to the Press Playcast. Hell yeah. All right. Well, let me get into <laughs> what I've been playing. So I finished Trails of Cold Steel. I talked about this game a lot in a previous episode It's uh, a very long RPG. I played it on the Vita. And it's funny because this is a long series. There's like, I think there's five games now and they're all one story interconnected. And they're also part of this larger universe that is involved with a bunch of other series. It's almost like the freaking Marvel Cinematic Universe. Like all these things are connected. So you have like 10,000 hours of games (laughs) worth to play if you really want to get into it. And Trails of Cold Steel 1, it's funny because I was like, I had a lot of issues with this game, but I liked it just enough to keep playing it to the end. And then it ends on this major cliffhanger. And I'm like, God damn it. Like, am I going to have to play the second game? 
<laughs> because I was really like, I'm not going to continue this series because of the issues I have with it. But man, it ends on such a cliffhanger. It's it's really funny. Uh, but I finally finished it. I was happy to finish it. I played Kirby and the Rainbow Curse on the Wii U. Oh, yeah. Another game that really had some issues, but in general, I enjoyed it. This is um, kind of a follow-up to the game on the DS. I forget what that one was called, but you draw on the bottom DS screen a path for Kirby to go on. So they kind of expanded this in the Wii U version. Yeah, there were a ton of Kirby games on the DS. Yeah, but this was the one where you draw a line for him to kind of roll on. You can't control him directly. If I remember correctly, you can only jump and draw the line. Okay. So it was pretty good, but not great. And it had these kind of difficulty spikes that I think had more to do with like the controls and the actual concept of the game. But in general, like I beat it, like I played through the whole thing. I didn't, I didn't dislike it, but it was as far as Kirby games go, it was a, a little bit of an oddball. I played that game Vampire. I think I was may have been, oh, yeah. I may have talked about this in a previous episode where I had started it, but I played through the whole thing. It was very good. It reminded me of something like any kind of like good western RPG like a Mass Effect or a Fallout 3 or something like just where you have action and dialogue choices and RPG elements and all this stuff. It was made by the same studio that made Life is Strange which is interesting because it's a totally different kind of game. So yeah, Vampire was an interesting one. Takes place just after World War One, So that, that was an interesting setting. And I enjoyed the game. Again, had issues, but in general, a good game. I give it like a 7 out of 10 type of game. Then I played Tales of Arise, which I talked about. My wife got it for me for Christmas. It was very good. Highly polished. Great characters. Towards the end, though, I just wanted it to end. It was a good game, and it wasn't like getting bad. I was just like ready for it to end. It felt like the last 10 hours were like very stretched out, and it was like, all right, let's wrap it up, roll credits. Like, I want to play something else. But uh, in general, I would highly recommend it. That's just the way I was feeling towards the end of it. And then Astria Ascending, which this is funny because listening to our previous episode with James Bond 007. I was talking about how my wife got me this game for Christmas and I was so excited about it because I had never heard of it and it looked really cool. The cover art was beautiful and I just raved about the experience of my wife picking this out for me when I had never heard of it kind of thing. Well, I tried to play it (laughs) (laughs) or I I should say I played it. I played about 30% into the game. I put a good like seven or eight hours into it and, uh, just had this realization that like I'm not enjoying this. This isn't a really good game. Like it had a lot of good concepts. There was the skeleton of a good game was there and I hope this developer goes on to iterate on the work they've done on this game. And by the way, I referred to it as a JRPG. It's not a JRPG. It's not Japanese. So I was fooled by the cover art, but It had a lot of stuff going for it, and I hope they can just iterate on it and make a better game next time. But I ended up just quitting that one, and that (laughs) that really nice Christmas present my wife got for me went on eBay and got sold to somebody. (laughs) And then one more cool one, I played this on vacation. The Magic Knight Ray Earth game for the Super Famicom, which... 
is not the most famous Magic Knight Ray Earth game by a long shot. That would be the Saturn version just because of its rarity and value. Grail. A holy grail. Grail. (laughs) But the Super Famicom version is noteworthy because it's actually one of the, I want to be careful what I say here. It's one of the first ever fan translations of a Japanese game. And there's a very interesting history to it. And it's not a bad game, especially for fans of the show. It goes through the plot of the show. And I'm a big fan of this franchise and this universe. So I played this on one of my emulation devices when I went on vacation because I didn't want to bring like my Vita or any of my 3DSs traveling with me in case I got lost, damaged, or stolen. So I brought just one of those Android emulation machines that I have and played that. And it was pretty darn good. Awesome. Uh, And then last but definitely not least, I've been playing Xenoblade Chronicles 3, and it is, excuse me, I'll clear my throat. (laughs) (laughs) Last but not least, I'm playing Xenoblade Chronicles 3, and it is one of my favorite games that I've ever played. I don't want to say one of the best, because there are... There are issues with it, not major issues, nothing that's going to make you not want to play it, but it is so much fun. It is so addictive. The characters are so amazing. The story is amazing. The combat is very engaging. There are some things that don't make sense, like the leveling system. It's very easy to get over-leveled and overpowered, especially the way the game throws side content at you. If you really delve into the side content you'll be over leveled pretty easily and then they give you this system that you can add experience to your characters and just kind of level up at will which if you were playing on a harder difficulty that would maybe help but i am the kind of person who i think i like being overpowered so in the beginning of the game i use this a lot to just be like max level and i wish i had listened to the youtubers who were like don't do this you'll be overpowered because it kind of screws up some of the other systems in the game and throws things out of balance and makes those things more challenging if you're at a higher character level. And we'll get too deep into it. But then the other thing about it is the economy and the money makes absolutely no sense. You never have to use money for anything. And I had like two point whatever million of the gold or whatever it's called in this game because you never need to use it for anything except for one side mission like towards the end of the game. So that is funny. But those are my two like issues with the game, which are minor issues that you can totally ignore. The game is just amazing. The Again, characters are lovable. It's well-written. Voice acting, I guess that's the other issue. Some of the inflections and emphasis in the voice acting, like whoever was directing the voice acting should have been more careful about how words were set. I can't think of an example. I should have written one down. But if I saw you making a sandwich or something, I would say, hey, you're making a sandwich, Rich? Like the voice line in the game would be like, hey, you are making a sandwich, rich. You know what I mean? Like just the wrong inflection on the wrong words kind of thing. And that happens. Now. <laughs> <laughs> that happens from time to time. And it's like, ah, oh, they should have taken more care with that. But I'm pushing 120 hours on this game. And I'm, wow. I'm nearing the end of the main story, but it just keeps shoveling side content onto me. And it's all good. Like you can go to all these different towns they're called colonies but picture them as towns in a a jrpg 
And every time you go to them, depending on where you are in the main story, there's a fresh set of side missions from all the characters in the town. So you can just kind of progress the story a little bit and then explore the whole world again and do all these side missions. It's absolutely amazing. So I could talk about this game for hours. It's incredible. So I'll just kind of (laughs) leave it there. Um, A lot of people are really enjoying this game and it's making me uh, like looking on like Trails of Cold Steel and Tales of Arise. These are two kind of triple A so to speak, for JRPGs, their AAA that I've played recently. And Xenoblade Chronicles 3 is leaps and bounds, like by a Grand Canyon size margin, better than those games. And it's hard to think like, man, what do I play next? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like <laughs> yep. nothing is going to capture my heart and soul the way this game has. So we'll see. So our game of the month was Doki Doki Literature Club. And as always, we are going to start with our question of the month. And to participate in the question of the month, you can follow at RFG Playcast on Twitter, at Sean Gray on Instagram, or at Sean underscore Gray underscore on TikTok. I have started asking the question on TikTok. This month, the question was, if you created an after-school club, what would it be? So let's go to Twitter first. At CollectorCast says, a Street Fighter League. Shoryukens on your friends are therapeutic. <laughs> <laughs> now, I don't know if he means literally the street fighting. Like, 
<laughs> or playing Street Fighter. So I wonder. Because I can't do a spinning star kick in real life. I, I can't throw fireballs out of my hands <laughs> if that makes anyone feel any better. All right. Bickman2k said, I would go with a classic arcade club. Get some Raspberry Pis set up with arcade sticks and pick a game for the day. There are so many different and amazing games out there that many people haven't had a chance to experience that I think it would always have people engaged. Very good. Next, we have Steven Eider. I had an anime club going for a little while. It was the DVD year, so it wasn't that easy to get shows digitally yet. Yeah, that sounds like your kind of club. And then the classic arcade club sounds like my type of club. Yeah, very true. And I have something funny about that to say when we get to our own answers. (laughs) Um, Kelsey Crabmaster said... An RPG video game club in the vein of a book club every week meet up and discuss the story and chat about cool characters, moments, and how everyone built their characters, etc. Well, f*** Kelsey, that's pretty much what we're doing right now. (laughs) I was going to say, that sounds pretty familiar. He's the guy who invented this thing that we're doing. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's just him patting himself on the back right there. Yeah, there you go. All right. And then lastly, our friend Corey Robertson, he just said two words, fight club. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Be my Tyler Durden any day. (laughs) Yeah. So this is a good one. I was just laughing at Steven's answer because I was also, we had an anime club when I was in high school and I went to it a few times and I wasn't even into anime. I just wanted to kind of hang out with my friends and uh, they were into anime. So it, it's funny cause I'm so into it now and there's so many things when I was thinking about this question, man, I don't know about you, but I didn't do any extracurricular activities when I was in high school, the anime club, notwithstanding, because that was literally just a couple of nerds in a classroom watching a DVD. But man, with all the things I'm interested in now, I wish I had, quote unquote, applied myself a little bit more. <laughs> like, I wish I was on the cross country team, just as one example. Like, I love long distance running. You know what I mean? And yep. it's like, man, I wish I had unlocked that talent when I was younger. You know what I mean? <laughs> I played sports throughout. So that was mainly what I was doing after school. But I was a member of a drama club. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Never put anything on stage, but we did some acting in class. It was, it was kind of neat. That's pretty cool. Now, I was trying to think, what are some of the more obscure or what's something that you had a club in high school or middle school that would seem weird to people today? Rodeo club. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's... In North Carolina. In Texas, that would be like completely probably normal. But yeah, they would basically sit on these large oil drums with springs tied to the side of them and try to knock each other off of the drums. And uh, people would brag about losing their teeth and getting replacements. So, yeah, that was pretty much where I grew up. Wow, that's very interesting. <laughs> um, now, one of, the, one of the sports teams that I always hung out with at both high schools, because all my friends were on the team, uh, did you have a fencing team oh, at your God, high school? Oh, God, no, dude. Man, you didn't. we didn't even okay. have a soccer team at my high school. 
Oh, interesting. Mm, okay. Yeah. This is Podunk, man. We had fencing teams at both of the high schools in my area, and I had friends at both. They were all on the fencing team, so I would go to the fencing meets, and sometimes they let me keep score. So that was pretty fun. Like I, I got to be a fencing team scorekeeper once or twice. So that's about as close as I got to, to ever being on a high school. Really? You were never on the fencing team? You could have foiled me. Ah, ah! very good. <laughs> At one point, I was actually chasing one of the girls who was on the fencing team, and I learned all about foil and epee and saber, and her brother was a saber, so I was like, oh, that's cool. A fencing girl, that's kind of hot, though, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, <laughs> it's someone I'm still somewhat friends with. Oh, okay. I, I know yeah. she'll, she'll never listen to this show, but it's just funny, like... <laughs> She's a happily married woman with a whole bunch of children, so we'll just <laughs> leave it at that. If you're listening, call me. <laughs> <laughs> nice, man. All right, so I'll segue that into my answer, which is another club that we had actually when I was in junior high, or we actually called it middle school, but the, you know the grades seventh, eighth, and ninth, or sixth, seventh, and eighth grade before you're in high school. Okay. Um. We had an archery team, and I don't think that would be something that you would see nowadays. I'm not really sure, but I know even before there were archery teams, before my time and probably before your time, there were shooting teams or marksman, rifleman teams. And, you know, firearms are a very controversial topic, but if anybody listened to my interview with Adam... Uh, they would know that I'm kind of a firearms enthusiast. And I think one of the important things about if you're pro that stuff is safety and training. Um, and I would just love to see, even if it wasn't full on firearms, like an airsoft club, paintball, mm -hmm. archery, you know, that kind of stuff, just learning, you know, respect for marksmanship would be pretty cool. That's the kind of club I would want to be in. Yeah, I have um, an archery, shotgun shooting, and rifle merit badges from when I was in Boy Scouts. So yeah, okay. I'm yeah, definitely that, familiar that, with that, that stuff. I was talking about how small my high school was. But for PE, one of the things that we had to do was take a hunter's safety course. Oh, that's amazing. That's cool. That was basic curriculum because, you know, I, I grew up in the country and we had a lot of kids who went hunting with their parents and things like that. So, I mean, you know, even if you're against firearms, I think like a safety class is, you know, that's, that's a great thing, you know, to be a part of. Yeah. And I think honestly, that's a good way to get people to be more pro and less anti. Like if you actually try it, like a lot of people come around and realize it's, it's actually a, a great hobby to be a part of and a great community. Yeah. And it creates respect to of, firearms and things like that you respect them quite a lot more when you you know you learn a lot more about them so yeah for sure absolutely so that's mine what would yours be i've always wanted to start a mixtape club Ooh, that's cool <laughs> yes and it doesn't even have to be locally it could be like you and i and friends of ours where you have to make each other a mixtape and send it to them, or even make one for the entire group. I think it's easier to do one since tapes are a little harder to find now, although I can find them locally quite a lot, uh, surprisingly, like new tapes. 
so the other day I was just kind of flipping through some drawers looking for a key or you know, something odd like that. And I found a mixtape that my wife made me for my 22nd birthday. It says Allie's Love Compilation Tape for Richie. Would you like me to read you some of the songs on this mixtape? Absolutely. Okay. John Spencer Blues Explosion, Magical Colors and Talk About the Blues, Chibo Motto Birthday Cake, Know Your Chicken, Fleetwood Mac, Go Your Own Way Everywhere, Liz Fair. She just put four songs down here, although I know which ones they are. Indigo Girls, Get Out the Map, Shed Your Skin, Pizzicato 5, Baby Love Child, Twiggy versus James Bond, Alice in Chains, I Stay Away, No Excuses, Young MC, Bust a Move and Fastest Rhyme, Hall and Oates, You Make My Dreams Come True, Talking Heads, Burning Down the House, and Fugazi. And it just says, Rest of Tape. <laughs> <laughs> that is so awesome, except for one stuck out to me. What was that? Fleetwood Mac, Go Your Own Way is one of the most famous breakup songs of all time. <laughs> so that, that was an odd choice. <laughs> <laughs> to put on a mixtape for a uh, a fresh love affair, you know what I mean? Yeah, and let me say this, um, it's a CD-it cassette, I don't know if you remember those, but it has those lenticular covers on it, you know, where you move it different ways and it changes. Yeah. Um, but there's like little stickers of frogs that she put all over it, which is awesome. I mean, these are the things I miss, Sean, you know, like the tactile things, the... In digital music, we don't have that. You know, you don't have to think about how much you can put on a side. You know, you're like, yes. oh my gosh, I can't put this song on this side. I might have to save it for the other side. And you have to make tough choices based on that. I just love that. I think it's great. You know, that's why I love albums so much. Yeah. Not just the artwork, but also these bands had to think about what they put on each side because they had a limited amount of space. I don't know, man. I, I think that's just an art form that's lost, and I would really love to start a mixtape club and do that. Uh, I would have to go out and buy a cassette recorder because I don't have one currently, uh, but I would be willing to do that if anyone wanted to participate in a mixtape club. So, uh, yeah, that's my answer. That's awesome. Would CDs be acceptable? Because that would be a little bit more accessible than tapes. <sighs> you could probably twist my arm if it was the only option, but the thing about <laughs> CDs are you do have a limited amount of time, but it doesn't do the side to side thing, you know? So yeah, I would reluctantly accept that. Yeah. I actually have a mixed CD in my car that I really cherish it. My friend Brian made it for me, like, I don't know, 15 years ago or something. And he made a cover that was kind of a collage of magazines or something nice. that he had cut up and put together. And he hand wrote all the songs on it. And, I remember we used to make these CDs for each other, and I, I probably have more somewhere, but I just have that one in my car, and it's it's just so cool, and it's a good it's a good mix CD. <laughs> it has a lot of great great stuff on it. I have mixed CDs all over, man. I still make them for my wife from time to time. If you've seen the movie Rushmore, a friend of mine put Mr. Little Jean's Best Play Ever mixtape, so he made me that. I have one that I gave to my wife called How I Pet Your Mother. Um, <laughs> you know, I just, I always make up these crazy names for them, you know? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I love it, man. It's so great. That's awesome. All right. Well, this question was inspired by our game of the month, which is Doki Doki Literature Club, which was played by the two of us and Dougley 007 as well. Maybe. I don't know. 
Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> he signed up. I don't know if he played or not. You can answer that on the forums. Interesting. So what made us want to play this game, Rich? Because usually we talk about our history with a game, and I w- didn't play this game when it came out. It was kind of one of these meme games, mm-hmm. uh, a lot in the vein of like an Undertale or a Five Nights at Freddy's that really just kind of gathers word of mouth reputation and a lot of streamers and people on Twitch and YouTube kind of boosting it. And it comes into the consciousness, but I had heard of it, but never played it. And also, I know neither one of us is particularly into visual novels. I have kind of a love-hate relationship with them. So yeah. why did we pick this one? <laughs> um, you know, it's funny, and I know you'll get into the development, but apparently this was freeware for a long time until, you know, they yeah. uh, started charging for it. And of course, putting out physical copies. I played on PS4. I'm not sure what you played on, but... Um, I have it on the Switch. I got the oh, okay. on the Switch. Okay, yeah. nice. I, I think for me, what it was, was there were some like rumors rummaging about it, how it was this like kind of cutesy game, which I, you know, immediately thought about you, like cutesy girls, anime and stuff be kind of neat you know and then i heard that you know there was this kind of morbid twist that happens in the game and you know i I don't want to get into spoilers yet there will be a part of this episode where we will announce our spoiler alert for those who want to listen to some of this game discussion but suffice it to say there's a twist and um with that in mind i think that is what really propelled me to want to play this game. Just knowing that there was something a little bit deeper and there was a psychological aspect to it, which, um, you know, we played a game like Sinuous Sacrifice before and, you know, that was very, very interesting. So I think that's probably what made me want to play it. How about you? Yeah, kind of the same, man. I I always like anime girl games even though again visual novels are not necessarily my thing but anything with anime and cute stuff is in my wheelhouse and then like you were saying this is a game the less you know about it the better so i actually was messaging you and i was like why don't we play this because i only know a little bit about it and we were actually considering playing this as our spooky October game, yeah. but neither one of us knew enough about what it actually was to say would it be appropriate for our like Halloween game. <laughs> so we said, yeah. why don't we play it the month before and we'll just kind of figure that out as we go and experience it ourselves. And uh, that's that's where we were at. And I, I had actually bought it just because it was something I was interested in uh, probably last year around saw it come up on probably Wario 64's Twitter or something like (laughs) that and just got it for a deal. And the plus version comes with some cool extras as well, like stickers and these little, like a business card from the, from the company, like the meta company within the game. So a lot of cool little physical extras in there for a really good price. So that's a good version to have. And it did start as a free game. And it's funny, there's some sentiment on <laughs> online that I saw. It's like, why would you buy it? You could play it for free. And it's like, again, like this is the other side of the argument. I want to own this game physically. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Yeah, something about supporting developers who make good stuff too. I mean, you know, that's, that's yes, another exactly. reason I like buying physical games. Yeah. Well, speaking of that, let's get into the development here because we're touching on a lot of things that are part of this development. So this game was created by a gentleman named Dan Salvato. 
his history is actually that he was a professional Smash Brothers player. That's what, kind of what he was known for before this game came out. Would not have expected those words to come out of your mouth, but all right. Yeah, professional nice. Smash Brothers player and modder. He's also a world record speedrunner of Yoshi 64. So he's into into that. He's an nice. MLG freaking guy and a speedrunner. Respect. Yeah, so... This game is kind of one of those games, again, like an Undertale or like a Stardew Valley, where it's really just one person behind the entire game, with a few exceptions that I'll get into here. But he wrote the game, he did all the music himself, and that's also very interesting. So he wanted to create a visual novel because he had what he called a love-hate relationship with anime in general. And then the cute girls doing cute things was a trope mm. that he found particularly annoying. So he wanted to do kind of a deconstruction or like a takedown of that trope. The game was released in 2017 on itch.io, which is a indie game platform, and then later came out on Steam under a pay what you want model which means you can get it for free but you could have paid money for it if you wanted to and he did this intentionally because as we're alluding to a little bit the game is not what you expect when you actually get through it so he didn't want people to feel like they were tricked into buying just an innocent cute visual novel and then have what happens in the game happen, they might have felt ripped off. So that's one of the reasons that it was free. And then the Plus version was released in 2021. It was supposed to be released earlier in the year, but the pandemic pushed the production out a little bit. It came around, I think, in October of, of last year. Dan Salvato, he did all the music himself with an artist named Jillian Ashcraft singing the vocals on the end credit song, which is called Your Reality. And this was inspired by Still Alive from Portal. So I don't know if you've ever played Portal. Mm -hmm. Not going to spoil anything, but there's a similar musical technique or device used at the end of that game where there's kind of a... <laughs> A fourth wall breaking song at the very end of it. Okay. And uh, that, that was kind of the inspiration there. And while the concept art was originally made by Salvato himself using a free anime creation program that he found online, he actually hired an artist who goes by Satchley to create the character sprites based on his direction and another artist named Valinquent to do the backgrounds. The backgrounds were originally 3D modeled, and then he asked Valinquent to make them into that more uh, manga visual novel style. And that's about it. It's just a very interesting kind of development. And I was listening to some interviews with him, and he was talking about how the game was inspired by people he actually knew. So that makes it go even deeper when you get into wow. you know, what, what these characters are and what they go through. For sure. So speaking of which, Rich, I think it's time for the story. Story in 60 seconds. You're an average high school student set on impressing college admission boards by joining one of your school's many clubs. Undecided on which club's meeting to attend first, you are persuaded by your best friend, Sayori, 
to check out the Literature Club. Well, with the promise of cupcakes, of course. When confronted by your reasons for coming to the meeting, and it also doesn't hurt that the three additional members are very attractive, it's not long before you reluctantly accept membership into the club. Soon you're assembling your own poems in an attempt to get closer to and possibly woo one or more of the ladies. But at what cost? What secret lies behind the facade of the Doki Doki Literature Club? And what direction will your choices take you? Should have joined the fucking anime club, bro. <laughs> yeah, interesting setup there. And that's basically what you get for the first couple hours of the game. Uh, man, I don't even know where we want to go because... If we're tiptoeing around spoilers for the time being, I, I just want to talk about the setup, which is, again, that your next door neighbor is your childhood best friend. You go to school together and it's time to pick out a club to join. And the anime club is one of the <laughs> one of the uh, things that your main character is thinking about. But you are persuaded to join the literature club with these four girls. It's Sayori, who's the, the friend, Yuki, Natsuki and Monica who is the president of the club. Yeah. And they all have different character traits too, which is really cool. Sayori is like you said, your neighbor kind of cutesy emotional type person. Yuki is very introverted. I would say Yeah, Natsuki is more into like anime and a little bit gruff in a sense (laughs) (laughs) and monica is sort of like the popular girl right like the head cheerleader type girl so it's interesting and this dynamic definitely works into the gameplay which uh you know i'm sure we'll talk about in a second yeah absolutely so yeah speaking of the gameplay when you play a visual novel it's up to the developer to <laughs> how much they want it to be literally all just reading or do you spice it up in some way? And Rich, I got to be honest, I don't have a ton of experience with visual novels, but I can think of one that I really liked and one that I DNF'd within about 30 minutes of starting it. And I've talked about it before, the Psychopath visual novel, which I didn't even get far enough into it to know what other elements were involved into it because I just thought it was so boring and it broke my heart because I really love that anime. But another one I really like is uh, Valhalla, which has this bartending element to it. It's tons of text, tons of reading. But yeah, you have to make drinks for the characters. So there is a, a little bit of gameplay there. So in this one, there's a lot of reading, but there are choices to be made. And then there's the the poetry element, which is the other big like gameplay element. So you want to get into that a little bit? Sure. Basically, as I explain, the different characters have different attributes and traits. So there are a few scenes within where you're kind of veering away from the visual novel and you're actually interacting with the game. So it could be argued that this isn't a visual novel. But it's very text heavy. Let's just put it that way. But when you're composing these poems, depending on what type of reaction you want from three of the girls, Monica not included, you want to pick words that are associated with their writing styles or with their personalities, right? Yeah. And so... You can choose whatever path you want. You can specifically go after one girl. 
or you can try to please multiple girls. And I remember you sent me a message. You said, <laughs> Rich, what is the best way for me to play this game? Should I go for one or should I, you know, kind of spread it out? And I replied, I really can't tell you that. And yep. I don't want to tell you that because I know you and, you know, you're one of these gamers and a lot like me, like you want to play through a game and that first inning you get, you're satisfied with that. Yes. You know? Yeah. So that was definitely the right answer. And I'm glad you did that. Well, good. Um, I, I didn't want to have any bearing on what your ending might be. And I wanted those choices to be your choices and for you to get the ending that you got. And so uh, I'll be curious to talk about our first playthrough. Uh, this is a game that you could do multiple playthroughs of because it has a nice fast forward feature. If you've already seen the dialogue before, the first playthrough is definitely going to be your longest. Yeah. But in describing this game, it's a bit like a dating simulator, right? Oh, absolutely. I want to elaborate a little bit on the poetry mechanic because I think it's actually pretty brilliant. So for one thing, you quote unquote write these poems by choosing these words and you choose 20 words. But the rub is you never read your own poems. You just choose 20 words. <laughs> yeah. You read the girl's poem. And as you read their poems, you can peer more into their personality. And the other thing I really love is it's not easy to pigeonhole any of the three girls, even though you feel like you kind of can. Unless you look at an online word list. Well. <laughs> I did not do that on my first playthrough, by the way. I don't know if you caught, but that list is actually in the game, in the files. Ah, okay. Yeah, so if you poke around that virtual desktop, there's a guide right in there for what words go with which girls. But what I really loved about it is it's not cut and dried. Like The words vary quite a bit. A word that you think might go with one of the girls actually goes with a different one. And as soon as you do it, you're going to go, oh, man, I, uh, yeah, yep. but that kind of makes sense. And then you're like, OK, like it doesn't even make you mad that you were wrong once you think about it for two seconds. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I thought that was really well done because the way it works is there's the words are on the right and these little stickers of the girls are on the left kind of just bouncing around and walking around. And then when you pick a word, the girl who it corresponds with jumps up. By a certain point in one of my playthroughs, I was actually counting, okay, I got three for Sayori, like when I was purposely trying to get certain paths in the game, I was being very strategic about the words I was picking. I played the game three times, and even on my third playthrough, I wasn't getting them all right, because this was done so well. So I have to shout out, this is basically the one mechanic of the game, but it was done so well. I really, really like that aspect of it. Yeah, and if you um, get a majority of the words toward one girl, that's the girl that's going to be more interested in you, right? Right, and you're basically going to have a, a scene with them. And in the tradition of a dating sim, that's how it would work in general. Like Again, as with visual novels, I'm not a huge expert in dating sims, but from what I understand, that's how they work. I played Sweet Fuse, which is an Otome game, which is where the girl is the main character and you're picking a boy out of a group of boys. So I played mm -hmm. that one, but this is a genre that in general I have almost no experience with. So I'm just going on what I think it is. 
you know, you pick a girl and get your story. Then you play the game again, pick a different girl, see what the story's like. So, yeah, it plays out that way in certain ways. But that's kind of where things start getting a little doki doki, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's an interesting way to start this game. Um, because, as you mentioned, the developer wanted to make a game that was kind of a takedown of this whole cute girl anime trope, right? Yeah. So when you look at it that way, if you were trying to take it down and you were trying to do something completely different with this game, what better way to start it out than to make that like in your face and to do something like a dating simulator? So I think that that was a really good choice. Exactly. And that's why at first the characters seem really tropey. So yeah, Yuki is the dark and beautiful one and Natsuki's the annoyed cute one. And mm -hmm. yes, on the outset of the game, the characters are kind of tropey on purpose. So I definitely get what you're saying there. Yeah. feel like before we go any further we need to announce a spoiler alert here so if you're interested in playing the game and you don't want anything spoiled this is the time to shut it down and i hope that after you play the game and this is a one setting game right sean you can play this all in one setting i finished it twice the first time i put it in but after you're done please come back to us and finish the rest of the podcast I agree, and I have one other recommendation. This is a strange thing to say, but just trust me on it. I am glad I used my real name in this game because there's a, at the very beginning you enter your name, and I have a tendency to just say ghost or gray ghost or any of my other... I went with banana, yeah. Okay, okay. <laughs> I put my actual name in the 
field and I think it had a value with the bonds that you create with these characters. Mm -hmm. I can't explain it without going too deep into it, but I would recommend using your real name. It's weird, but yeah. (laughs) Definitely something we'll talk about later on in the show, right? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's uh, move on to the spoilerish material, Sean. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. It's hard to talk about this game without the actual conceit of the whole game. And for what it's worth, there's a content warning at the beginning, you know? Yeah. Which is kind of a spoiler in its own right. It definitely is. Yeah. But, you know, the creator was, again, in reading about this and watching interviews with him, these characters are based on people he knew. He was trying to be respectful of people with mental health issues, people who were suicidal, and, and all of that stuff. Yeah. So he put a content warning at the beginning, which is general, which says may not be appropriate for people who are easily disturbed or children. Mm-hmm. And then after that, you have the option to go into a more detailed content review of what is actually in the game which includes suicide and self-harm and all these other things so i do see the value in that and again as he made this game he didn't even want to charge money for it because he didn't want people to feel like they had been bamboozled or tricked he wasn't trying to really wallop people over the head with this it's just i think a cool twist and it makes you wonder why and to be fair it's why people know about the game, I think. Like, would this have been picked up by, uh, what's the guy? Markiplier was one of the big ones who kind of boosted this game by streaming it. Like, would it got on his radar? Would it got on all these other streamers' radar if it weren't for that and a little bit of word of mouth? Or, I don't know. Uh, it makes me wonder how many games are out there that people haven't discovered because they don't yeah. have this kind of thing going for it. Yeah, but I don't know. At the same time, it's a little disappointing in the sense that when the first big event happens, I mean, it's shocking. Don't get me wrong, but I kind of expected it. I kind of feel like putting that out there doesn't give it the same effect or that it would be just like that hammer right between the eyes. You know, I like it, but at the same time, I don't like censorship. And possibly this is the creator censoring himself and being kind to people. I get that. And possibly I wouldn't have played the game had I not known about that twist, right? But there's something to be said about not censoring things and just let it hit you like a load of bricks. I get that the topics are sensitive. I understand that. Um, I've gone through things very recently with some of these topics in mind and it's hard and you know it's hard to justify putting these things in a video game but at the same time it's nice when video games mimic real life and there's something about those spoiler warnings that bothers me a little bit sean yeah i get where you're coming from i'm not an insensitive person but i don't know i think it takes away a little bit from the message gotcha Dude, I totally see where you're coming from. And it's kind of a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation. And I think if I were him, I would have done it the way he did it just to be safe, you know? Yeah. With the reputation that this game has, again, in doing my research about this, he was actually worried that it would offend people with mental health issues. And what he found and what people found over time is that people were really appreciative of it. And I think if he 
hadn't had that content warning, if people didn't know what that was going into it, they might have not had that kind of warm reaction and being able to identify with some of these characters. So, I mean, let's get into it. Like the first twist is that Sayori commits suicide and Mm -hmm. that is where the game totally goes off the rails. And I think there was a moment for you (laughs) where you were (laughs) texting me and the first couple of texts were (laughs) like, That was it. Man, what the hell is this? This is a lot of reading, bro. I don't think you used the word boring, but that's the impression I was getting from you. Like, how much reading do I have to do in this damn game? And then the next couple messages were like, holy shit, this is fucked up. (laughs) (laughs) Paraphrasing, but yes, yes. (laughs) And I was like, oh my God. And I hadn't started playing it yet, but I was like, don't tell me anything. I'm going to play it like tomorrow or whatever it was. And as you replay the game, playing it multiple times, it's one of those games that you get value by replaying it because you'll see the clues that you didn't see the first time around. So Mm -hmm. an example of this is Sayori has a lot of symptoms of depression. The first slate of text says there's an annoying girl running towards me, waving her arms as if she doesn't care who sees her or something like that. And then the next thing it says, oh, it's Sayori. She's been my friend since we were children. We used to walk to school together every day, but she oversleeps a lot lately. And that's just something that like the first time you play it, oh, okay. Yeah, we all oversleep sometimes. But then you learn she has a deep depression and you realize like, yeah, uh, oversleeping is is a symptom of that. So, and again, as we said, when we did the Hellblade thing and the at other times, I just want to disclaim like, we are not mental health professionals. We're just two idiots who are kind of chatting about a video game here. So just want to make that absolutely clear. But yeah, the whole mental health stuff. And then you realize kind of watching Sayori spiral and putting up Mm -hmm. this front as this cute and happy and friendly person, you realize the kind of context clues that are in between the lines as you replay the game. So, Yeah. And I think we need to mention here, there's, no way to save her. This is going to happen right. regardless of yeah. whatever you do. There is an option for you to express your love for her or to say, let's just be friends. And you would think like, maybe if you pick, let's just be friends, like that might be the thing that makes her spiral and do what she does. Yeah. But it doesn't matter what you pick. You're going to get the same result. So that's kind of in your face. I think at the heart of this game and what makes it tough to play and what makes you go, holy shit, is that you had texted me, which path should I pick? Should I go with one girl or should I go with multiple girls? And there's this feeling when you're first playing it, like there might be a type of girl you're a bit attracted to out of the different personalities that you're going to try to impress. But as you start playing the game, and especially after... Sayori's death, you're kind of like, oh my God, I need to save everybody. It takes that twist, right? You're just trying to please everybody. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, I get what you're saying. There's that psychological aspect of it. You're like, holy crap, I can't let anybody else die. Maybe I'm playing this game wrong. Maybe there was something I could have done to save her. Now I need to save everyone else. It's kind of frustrating in in a sense of being a gamer And it's really in your face uh, psychologically, you know? Yeah, absolutely. 
I didn't have the feeling that, oh, I'm going to have to save everybody. But I did wonder on my first playthrough because I went with the I love you option. And I was like, oh, I did too. I, oh, man, did I do this? Should I have said I just want to stay friends? Would it have been different? I didn't know at the time right. that, you know, that happens no matter what you do. So when that happens, the game basically resets itself right? You go back to the splash screen after you kind of freak out. And then there's like a glitch and like some command line interface stuff happens at the top of the screen. And the game just resets itself. And the title screen is different, though. When the four girls pop up, Sayori is all glitched out. The option to start game is all glitched out. That was a kind of moment for me where well, I was. It's freaky, dude. Yeah, like I was yeah. not. Because I, again, I knew something was going to happen, and I kind of felt the way you did with Sayori killing herself. It was kind of like, oh man, that that is a drag. That is depressing. That is a bummer. Point taken. You know what I mean? But mm-hmm. I was. I'm not going to say happier, but I was more excited and interested when the game, quote unquote, rebooted, because. I was like, okay, now it's getting weird. I like this. Less on the depressing side, more on the weird side, please. You know what I mean? So seeing that, I was like, okay, this isn't just a horror game. This isn't going to turn into The Ring or Clock Tower. You know what I mean? This is is something else. (laughs) So then you restart the game and the game starts again, but Sayori's not part of it. And this is another really amazing way to look at death. Not only did I read a lot of interviews with Dan Salvato and read a lot of reviews and stuff, but reading comments about this game, like on YouTube or message boards or whatever, I saw a lot of comments that really expressed gratitude for the way this game treats death and the way life would be if you weren't there kind of thing because of the way they quote unquote delete characters throughout the game. And with the Sayori thing and the the story starting over without her, there's an empty feeling. And because you've, Mm -hmm. to whatever extent you bonded with her in your first playthrough, now she's gone. And it just feels weird without her there. And again, that hit harder than the quote-unquote scary depiction of her hanging from the ceiling, if that makes sense. Yeah, I compared it to the second half of the movie, It's a Wonderful Life where Jimmy Stewart is allowed to see what life would have been without him and how it would affect other people. But man, this game is described as a psychological horror game and man, all the glitching and stuff, it really messes with you (laughs) a lot. (laughs) And I'm sure we'll talk a lot more about that because it gets more and more intense as it rolls along. And for me, I was shocked by that death in a sense, though I kind of knew something was going to happen. But when it started getting weird, I was like, "Okay, buckle your seatbelt. This is the type of game I wanted to play. Yeah, same. Yeah, that whole second act, which plays through, that's when things start really going off the rails. The game gets pretty glitchy. The character portraits start glitching and then... The game has this cool kind of herky-jerky nature where there are scenes where things start spiraling off the rails and then just kind of snap back to normal. And that's Mm -hmm. another element of this game I really love is the kind of disorienting aspect of the glitchiness and the scene where 
Monica kind of takes over the situation early in act two and she appears in front of the text box. If you remember that moment. And mm-hmm. I was like, yep. Oh wow. Okay. And it's just kind of disorienting. And you're like, okay, do I press something? And cause you can't see the text box. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I think I told you in text, like once the game goes off the rails, it's off the rails. And, there's still a lot of reading to do, but you're just waiting for that next little nugget of weirdness to come at you, whether it's like the changes in the faces or the faces disappearing or the eyes or whatever. And you still at this point don't know what's actually going on. You don't know. Again, is this just a ghost story? Is this some weird thing? But like, what is going on? And we go into, again, writing poems for the girls. You could have a scene with a different girl on this part of the playthrough. And again, that will affect your endings. It will affect the DLC that you unlock. And if you're playing the plus version, that's what I mean. There's these DLC scenes, there's artwork and stuff. So it has that kind of replay value there just on the gameplay aspect of it is when you go through those scenes with the different girls, you'll get different content. But at this point, it is also an opportunity to, you know, if you went for Yuri the first time, you can go through, go for someone else a second time or whatever example you want to use and get the mm-hmm. different scenes with the different girls. But knowing that they're, they're going to be a little twisted, you know what I mean? <laughs> well, even in the second part, there's no way to avoid what's going to happen. And it happens to the same girl each time. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. We should coast kind of through to the part that is actually driving the whole thing, Rich, because I feel like we could we could summarize the plot all day and we can talk about what happens to Yuri and what happens to Natsuki. But I feel like you could just play the game and experience those kind of moments. And we maybe could talk about some of our favorites here in a bit. But really, the whole conceit of the game, and this is where it gets for me, it goes from, wow, this is pretty cool. And I like how it's getting weird to absolutely amazing, like S tier concept of a game. And that is that Monica as a character in this game has gone rogue and is fulfilling her kind of role as this dating sim person. And she's mad that she's actually not a romance option. So she starts making the characters what she would think was unattractive to you. Then she starts killing them off. And then the the whole meme of the thing is, is just Monica. She wants to take them out until it's just Monica. Yeah. Just uses their psychosis against them to take them out. Yeah, exactly. So that's the real true spoiler that you, you want to avoid. And, and the game ends of course with you in a room with Monica and I want to talk about this a little bit because I did a little bit of experimenting <laughs> with this. I don't know how many text bubbles that he wrote into this ending part, but the first time I played it, I went through quite a few of them. And then the second time I played it, I actually left the game running while I went to do something else because I'm like, I wonder how far this will go. And I was doing chores for about an hour or something. And unfortunately, when I went back to the game, it had crashed. So it crashed to the home screen. But then 
it was very interesting because I found out that if you quit the game while you're in that state, in that room trapped with her and quit the game and go back, she says, something weird just happened. Can you make sure that that doesn't happen again, please? It was very uncomfortable. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot of breaking of the fourth wall in this game, which we should mention. That's one of the um, few things, you know, once you get to the ending Um, and, you got to say too, I mean, you're sitting in that room with her and she's just staring at you. Like the TV is just like eyeballing you. She's sitting right across from you and it's very personal and it's, you know, just invading your space. Same for me, man. That first playthrough, I sat there for 45 minutes and I was like, what in the world (laughs) is happening here? Like, is this going to progress? And you got to mention too, that there's, a space of like 30 to 45 seconds in between each piece of dialogue where it's just dead. Yep. And that was really annoying for me. I wish they would have shortened that up a bit, but maybe that's just part of it. Maybe that frustration is just a part of it. And you really don't know what to do. So after that 45 minutes, I saw that the dialogue had started looping. Oh, interesting. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of extra dialogue. It does not stop. There is no way to progress through the dialogue. Yeah. That's kind of frustrating because you got to figure out what to do. And if you're paying attention, you can maybe piece it together. And if you understand the way the game's set up through the home screen, where, like you mentioned, there's a virtual desktop and you can look at different files and things like that, then you could probably figure it out. But uh, I'll be the first to admit I had to go online and figure out how to progress through this. Oh, man, I'm sorry. That makes me sad to hear because that was actually one of the more satisfying things I've ever like had occur to me while playing a game. And I'm not usually good at this kind of stuff. I wouldn't call this a puzzle, but it's Mm -hmm. more like a high concept what the hell do I have to do here? And then it just kind of dawned on me, like, she deleted the other characters. I have to delete her. I never thought about that interface. You know, I wish there would have been something at the beginning that would have made you interact with that interface a little bit more so that would kind of plant a little bit of seed. Yeah. Okay. And you're right. That was disappointing for me to have to go back and look at that. Because if I'd have figured that out on my own, like you did, it would have been more of a magical moment, you know? Yeah. Well, so that's what you have to do. (laughs) You go into that. uh, There's a thing called files and then there's character files. And when you're at this point of the game, the only one in the folder is Monica and you just hit a button to delete it. And then you exit that virtual desktop and go back into the game and she glitches out. She actually says it hurts. It's funny because Monica is supposed to be the villain of the game, but what happens is people love her and I'm not going to say I loved her, but it's like, (laughs) I liked her a lot. It's so weird, isn't it? Like, yeah. And I think it's because of my like kind of affinity for AI and like these concepts of singularity. We've talked about this a lot on the show. It's kind of an interest of mine. So kind of the rogue AI thing, We've talked about the movie Ex Machina. It's kind of similar to the ending of that movie. Like, mm-hmm. I'm sympathetic to the rogue AI. I like her. Team Robot all the way right here, man. I've got a t-shirt my friend made me. It says Team Robot so that they can identify us <laughs> uh, when they get here. So they you know, know to keep us alive. 
and I didn't piece this together myself. I saw this in a YouTube video, but it's pretty simple when you think about it. She is fulfilling her role as a dating sim character. This is the only thing she knows, and she has overpowered the game to fulfill her role and to execute what she has been programmed to do. That's why I like her. That's why people like her. So when that text box came up, what did you do? This hurts. I was like, oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> like even that like kind of hit me in the feels. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and after you delete her, the game resets once again yep. without her in it. And there is another shocking ending where Sayori becomes the new Monica. Yes. But Monica comes back and becomes the hero of the game. Which I think is another reason people like her. Yeah, pretty much. So again, the game restarts, like you were saying, and but this time it's without Monica, but with the other three girls. And I got to admit, this was kind of a, what's the word? Not retcon, but kind of a, because when she says, well, I didn't really delete them all the way, you see, you know, I found that to be kind of unsatisfying, like, mm-hmm. but it's fine. But that was just kind of something that rubbed me a little bit the wrong way. Like, I'm going to bring them back. Here you go. But I get it. It's a computer. So they can undelete stuff or whatever. Sure. But yeah, that's actually one of the endings you can get is that Sayori says, well, I'm the president now. And it kind of flashes to the room that you were in with Monica, which I thought was a really nice touch. Mm-hmm. But then, like you said, Monica butts in with a text box that says no. Don't hurt him. No. And you have to just click through it. And then she blows the whole thing up and she says, I guess nobody can be happy. There can be no Monica. There can be no literature club. Goodbye, everything. And then you get a note that just says, basically, from her, thank you for playing. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I kind of think I would have preferred it just to end with Sayori being like the next Monica. Like that, you know, just on like a really dark psychological hit. I think that would have been good. I don't like the sunshine, rainbows and unicorn fart endings. So um, I thought that was a little bit, I don't want to say it was a cop out. I still like the ending, but I think I would have personally preferred it to end on a darker note. And from what I understand, I just want to throw out there that there is a quote unquote true ending or a better ending. Quote good ending. Yeah. Yeah. And Monica drops a hint about it actually in the game. And there's a few things she says, even in the first act that have you kind of scratching your head. There's one moment I remember where she says, you know, when you save your game, you can always quit and go back and fix some of your mistakes. And then she says, Mm -hmm. why did I just say that? I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, so from what I understand, if you do one playthrough where you get the special scenes with every girl you get a good ending where Sayori doesn't turn evil at the end um but i i didn't do that like i did oh you did okay cool i did you want to hear a little about it yeah i would because seeing it on youtube was like at the time it was good enough for me but i'd love to hear it from your perspective sure um so i don't think it's very intuitive even with monica's dialogue But what you have to do is a little more complicated. You have to play each character in an attempt to woo all three characters. When you get to where you make the decision, whether you love Sayori 
or whether you just want to be friends, you have to pick that you love her. Okay. okay. The next screen after that will be you going to visit her at her home where you found out that she's killed herself. What you have to do right there is you have to save the game. Then you have to play a new game, do it for the other girl, say you love Sayori, save it again in a different box. Mm, okay? Okay. Then you go through the third time, you woo the third girl, and you can just keep playing from there because you've already seen all of the scenes. The point is to unlock all of the visual scenes. If you're going after Yuri, you have to do the project with Yuri. Right. If you're okay. doing Natsuki, you have to do the project with her. Now, I never tried to do the project with Monica, and I don't know what would happen if you did that. It won't let you. Interesting. Okay. It says she doesn't need help or something like that. Okay. You can pick Sayori to do the project with, but you know, there's a scene where she runs home and they make you choose someone else right there. You have to pick between the two, Yuri yeah. and Natsuki. So the game does veer you in a certain direction. So yeah, you have to do all that, Sean, to get the uh, actual ending. And once you delete Monica after, you know, some dialogue, after you've read either her poem or your poem to her, whichever one it is, I, I just can't recall, then you can delete her and then you get the true ending where all the girls are okay and it's, you know, sunshine, rainbows, and unicorn farts. <laughs> but what I find really interesting about that is, like I said, as you're playing, your thoughts are completely provoked about how can I save these girls? It's ironic that... The way you save all the girls is by physically saving your game. Okay. That is interesting. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's almost like a play on words, and I yeah. don't know if it's purposeful or not. That thought just kind of crossed my mind the other day, and I'm like, I have to write that down. That's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> I'm a genius. <laughs> No, that's really good. And I did not pick up on that. But I also didn't know that that's how you would do it. I, I didn't mm -hmm. understand the whole concept of how to get the true ending. So I'm glad you explained that. But yeah, I was talking about how this game makes you feel. I feel like the creator's trying to make it more of a positive experience, although you're dealing with some really deep stuff. But in some ways, it feels sort of nihilistic to me. It's like, Whatever you do, you can't save this person. You shouldn't blame yourself. Did you get that feeling when you were playing it? I wasn't playing the game with the same goals as you, I don't think, because I I don't remember feeling like I need to save the girls. Between when Sayori kills herself and you know what Monica is, it's not apparent that the other two girls are going to die or kill themselves. Right. right? One of the cool key scenes that I remember was when Natsuki's poem is actually a note that she's worried about Yuri <laughs> um, and to just be careful around Yuri. And I thought that was another like really cool moment that kind of shifted everything. Yeah. But then that's when Natsuki dies. I think her death was kind of the worst one, so to speak. Yuri's? No, Natsuki. Natsuki? Yeah, where her neck just cracks and she kind of goes off the screen. I never got to see that ending, so I didn't realize there was an ending for her like that. 
Really? Yeah. What happened to her in your playthroughs? Nothing. Yuri just stabs herself to death, which is disturbing. And I think that's something that happens no matter what you do, just like Sayori. I think Yuri's is kind of set in stone. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about that for a second, because that was another one of my favorite moments from the game. Comes way by surprise. She just pulls out a knife, stabs herself a couple times in the stomach and then in the chest. And then it cuts to a slide of her laying there with the knife next to her and glitchy text in the text box. And you scroll through a little bit of it. And then you scroll through more of it. <laughs> and then you scroll through more of it. And I'm like, what yeah, the hell is going sequence. on here? This is the only time in the game where you can actually skip through text that you haven't read yet. So you realize you have to go to the skip option and let yep. it just kind of scroll and scroll and scroll. And you notice that it gets dark and then light and then dark and then light again. And that's when it stops. And this is one of the weirdest, strangest, but yet funniest moments in the whole game is when, first of all, Natsuki comes in and there's a, <laughs> there's a frame of her throwing up and running away, which was mm -hmm. an interesting uh, piece of art in the game is her throwing up because it's so different from any of the other character sprites that were used in the whole game for her. And then Monica walks in and she says, oh, oh no, oh no. And then she says, were you here the whole weekend? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh man, that really just happened. And then she says, oh, I'm sorry. The script is really messed up here. Let me fix that. And that's when she deletes all the other characters. Wow. Oh man. Yeah, that was one of my other like favorite moments in the game. And one of the more disturbing for sure. Yeah, for sure. All right, man. Should we move on to the graphics and environments of the game? <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, a little deep. Yeah. So again, the character art was done by an artist named Satchley and the backgrounds were done by Valinquent. I thought they were really well done. You could have fooled me that this was not like a professionally done game. This is colorful anime. I think the artwork is really good. All the characters are very distinct, which is helpful because that's part of the point of the game is that each is a distinct entity. And at the beginning of the game, they may be a little bit tropey, but they all have their own personalities and issues. I really like the graphics. If you know what anime looks like, you know what this game looks like. So what did you think, Rich? I like the drawings. You know, it's very pleasing to the eye. It's really well done. It looks like an anime. It's that kind of storybook style. Um, I think one of the things that gets me is like the characters and environments. The characters have very limited poses, which there's probably like maybe four or five each character, if that many. Yeah. And it's very repetitive. They almost come off as being like stickers instead of human beings. So to me, that's kind of odd. And as well as like the environments, there's like only five backdrops in the game there's the classroom the hallway outside the classroom there's the outside view there's inside your house and inside sayori's house but that's pretty much it there might be one or two more but it's very limited as far as the environments are concerned i'm not saying that the artwork's not good it's very good but there's kind of limitations to the game which i don't want to say make it boring but I feel like these limitations really stand out and make it a little less interesting. Okay. 
I'm not going to say you're wrong, but I just think when you you got to keep in mind that the game was made by one dude with two freelance artists. Uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, but you know what? Axiom Verge was made by one dude who made Fair a complete enough. Metroidvania game, did his own music. And I get it, but just sort of my complaint with it. Yeah. And the other thing I would say is this is also kind of thematic to this genre of game. Sure. I get that too. Even as you were talking, I was thinking of JRPGs where the character sprites never change, you know? True. So yeah, I didn't have the same feeling. And I kind of liked actually the familiarity and the coziness, like being in the classroom and then being in the back of the classroom, you know, like, so Mm -hmm. you kind of know, you always know where you are and you feel cozy and familiar with the surroundings. Um, So I kind of saw it as a benefit. Yeah, I, I played a little bit of Steins Gate and even in the short amount of time that I was able to play through that, there were multi-environmental changes and very similar in that you do stay on an environment for a while. But of course, this game, much shorter, not as invested as Steins Gate. So, you know, there's that as well. So I, I definitely understand that. Yeah. Well, I want to talk about the music a little bit because this is actually one of my favorite parts of the game. And my man, Dan Salvato, did all the music himself with the exception of uh, vocals on the ending song, which now that we're in spoilers, I want to kind of talk about that a little bit specifically. That was one of my favorite parts of the game as well, is that you actually get to hear Monica's voice and she says, hey, it's me. Remember how I told you I was learning piano? Well, I wrote this song for you. That's cool. Yeah. I don't know what's wrong with me, but I really like these kind (laughs) of off-putting ending songs in video games. This just made me think of uh, I Am The Wind from Castlevania (laughs) Symphony of the Night. (laughs) And for this game, it's way more in place than that game. I don't know. There's something about like songs with vocals that cap off a game that doesn't have any voice acting in it. Yeah, I feel like we've played something else fairly recently when that happened, where like the rest of the game is no vocals, but the ending. I feel like we've played a few games like that. Yeah, I don't know. I just really love that. And the songs tend to kind of stick with me. And actually, this whole soundtrack is on Spotify. And this song went immediately into my playlist. And I've listened to it a bunch. Like, I really, really <laughs> like it, even though it's like this meme or joke at the end of the song. And again, it's another reason I think people like Monica is that she's not evil. You know what I mean? And I think the whole point of 
hey, it's me. I wrote a song for you. Like, just makes her endearing. So, yeah. And that's the actual end of the game where the credits roll and you know you've finished a playthrough. The rest of the music in the game was done 100% by Salvato himself. And I was listening to a podcast episode. It's called The Game Music Podcast. And he was on it and he was just explaining like he doesn't consider himself to be a great musician. He's just a hobbyist for it. And I think he's being very modest because I think the music in this game is amazing. I think he nailed the tone he was going for. And he said in this podcast that he could have gotten royalty free music as another way of saving money rather than doing it himself. It would have saved them some time. But he felt like he had to do it a certain way and have something unique. I think even the music that just plays in the vanilla parts of the game where you don't realize it's this psychological horror is really good and catchy. It doesn't sound amateur at all. I'm an amateur musician and I'm an amateur producer and I could not make music that is anywhere near as good as the music in this game. So I don't know what you thought there. Yeah, um, I... uh... I really liked the ending song, just like you. I thought that was amazing. Love the Monica song. Uh, a very fitting and wonderful way to end the game as you're seeing the credits and you're seeing those sort of splash screens, at least the ones you've unlocked. In the good ending, all of your splash screens will be unlocked. So that's one way to kind of look at that. And I also thought it was pretty crazy at the ending how the pictures like get deleted too yeah yeah i I did want to mention that i think that's a nice nice touch as far as the other music i didn't know that he had done all this music on his own and i don't want to be disrespectful but i really didn't find the music that great it was very short tracks with all the dialogue you have to read in this game these tracks loop I don't know. It got a little boring to me and kind of graded on me quite a bit because the tracks aren't that long. So I would say that for this type of game, yes, it was adequate. It didn't take away from the overall experience of the game for me, but there was nothing as strong in that game as the last track. So take it for what it's worth. Some people may love this soundtrack. It's nothing I would purchase did you like the music that played in the poetry section? It has like that chip tune beat to it. It's really upbeat. And that one's not super repetitive because you're only okay. in that section of the game for a couple minutes every time. Yeah. You can actually get a trophy if you let that music play for like a certain amount of time, like 20 minutes or something like that. Oh, interesting. Yeah. It was okay. But yeah, I didn't really like the music when the characters and stuff were on the screen, which is, you know, the vast, vast majority of the game. So. Again, just my opinion. I know know everybody feels differently and has their own opinions about music, but uh, that's just kind of how it made me feel. Fair enough, man. That's good. I don't think you meant any disrespect with that. No, absolutely not. (laughs) No, total respect for somebody that does, you know, their music on their own. He's no John Carpenter, but uh, who is, right? That's fair. (laughs) All right, man. Is there any other like moments or any other things you want to cover before we get into final thoughts? I don't think so, man. I think I'm ready to roll. Well, I'll go first, man. This game is under my skin in a way that I didn't expect. And 
I adored this game. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I played it three times. I played it last night instead of working harder <laughs> on my 2012 list. I wanted to play the game again and see what other scenes I could see or poke around in the virtual desktop for secrets. And we didn't even really talk about the whole metagame part of it. But to me, that was less interesting than the actual uh, Monica situation. So, but there is. This whole virtual desktop that you can poke around in, there's secret files, there's this whole meta story to the company that made the game. I'm like almost addicted to that world and I felt myself compelled to play the game through one more time before we did this recording. I love games that are weird and twisted and he tackled some real issues here and knowing after I played the game, that this was based on people he knew in his real life gives even more weight to it. Seeing people's reaction to it gives more weight to it, the way it's like kind of had a positive impact on people. Definitely had a positive impact on me. I really liked all the characters. I, I liked kind of experiencing what they were going through. Again, really big fan of Monica, and I could see why she's so popular despite being <laughs> the antagonist of the game. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, I would I would highly recommend this game. I'm so glad we played it. My only regret is that I didn't play it sooner and didn't get to be a part of the zeitgeist when this game was really going around and when it was really popular because now I'm watching videos from like four years ago where people were like excited about the game. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely, man. Well, for my final thoughts on the game, I know that with graphics and environments and the music, I was giving the game a little heat and being a little negative toward those things. And to be honest, gameplay wise, there's not much to say as far as gameplay, because like we said, this is sort of a visual novel, which could be argued because there are parts in the dating simulator piece of it where you are making choices and that nature, though the game does funnel you basically into one direction before you get to the end. I love this game. You know, I hate for my comments to be overly negative. I hate to be critical of a game I liked. But all in all, the shocking nature of the content and the overall experience of the game was just fascinating. Like you, Sean, I really love the weird and odd stuff. There's no better marker that shows that than the text that I sent you about like, oh, this is just kind of, you know, boring dialogue. It's dialogue heavy. And for it to turn into, holy shit, forget about what the fuck I said before, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and that shocking experience and how like the game really grabbed me. I started playing this game in one afternoon and did two playthroughs of the game. That's how much it grabbed me. And then the next day, I did a third playthrough of the game. I was completely immersed in this game. The way this game makes you feel inside and the way it made me really anxious, the way it made me care about these characters, the way it made me want to save all these people really made up for the shortcomings that I found with this game as far as the heavy dialogue, the graphics, the music, you know, the things that I thought were a little lacking. But the overall game experience was incredible. I really have to applaud Dan Salvato with the way he created a game 
that was so eye-opening for people that don't struggle with these sort of things. And for people that do struggle with these kind of things, it kind of lets them know, like, hey, we know you're out there. You know, we understand. We want to bring the message about so that other people can understand the things others go through. I'm the type of person that feels like everyone has some psychological illness. It can be major. It can be minor. We all fall on a different sort of the spectrum. But I just feel like we can all benefit from, you know, understanding from other people. So I think this game is not only great for people that are suffering through similar things that maybe these characters are, but from people on the outside who have gone through traumatic experiences. So I really have to applaud the creator of this game. With that said, if you get the good ending, you get a note from Mr. Dan Salvato. Did you get to read that note? Uh, No, I didn't, actually. I would definitely encourage you to go back and find that note and read it, you know, just somewhere online if you don't want to play through the game and get the good ending. He thanks you for playing the game, but he also talks about why he made this game, that he wanted to go against those tropes, but he wanted to do something that was more important than just a video game. So I think that that is an important aspect of this game. I hate that it gets lost in... You have to get the good ending to read this note, Hmm. but I still appreciate it in that sense. So with all that said, I think this is a great game. I definitely recommend it, and I'm super happy that we chose it and I got to play it. Man, that's cool. I'm glad that we had a pretty similar experience here. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, we are rebranded. We're here. We're back on a schedule, man. So let's talk about the games for the next two months because we got them on schedule. Rich, you got October. What are we playing for our spooky Halloween, spooky season, pumpkin spice latte October game? Okay. First of all, gross. (laughs) Um, But Yeah, I've already started the October game because we were kind of trying to decide, you know, which order we wanted to play Doki Doki Literature Club and our pick in. And so we decided to go with Tecmo's Deception Invitation to Darkness for the PS1. So this is the original first Deception game. We kind of kicked around the idea of playing one of the other earlier games, maybe playing a later game, but we just, you know, kind of ended up falling on this one. I will say that if you are playing it on original hardware, make sure that you have a clean save card because this damn game takes up nine boxes. Yeah, I've heard. Which is over half of what can go on your memory card. So uh, be warned of that. I've already started playing it. It is a survival game where you are defending a castle from intruders. There are some glimmers of Satanism throughout the game, I would just yeah. say. It's uh, it's very interesting. It's very dark. But it's a really, really interesting title, and uh, I've been having a great time with it so far. So, uh, yeah, please join us for our spooky game in October, Tecmo's Deception, Invitation to Darkness. And... I don't want to call it a remake, but there is a rehashing maybe of this game on the PS4 called Deception 4 Blood Ties. That was one of the two games that was put out on the PS4 in the Deception series. So if I can get a hold of that game and I do a quick playthrough of this one, I might give the PS4 game a try just to see how they compare. 
That's interesting. I didn't know that. And I was uh, kind of the most interested in playing Deception 4 at a certain point. So maybe I'll play them both as well, depending on how the time goes. But that's good to know. It's a little bit of a pricey game at around $75. So I just want to put that out there. Cool. I do already have it. So that's good to know. All right. And then in November, we are fulfilling the prophecy of playing every Bioshock game. So two years ago, this November, we played Bioshock 2. And two years before that, in November, we played the original Bioshock. So for November 2022, we will be playing Bioshock Infinite and completing the trilogy, which I think is pretty cool. And you've never played this one, right, Rich? No, no. This is my first go around with this one, of course, with the other two games. It's my first go around with those also and enjoyed both of those very, very much. So I can't wait. I hear this game's a little bit polarizing to some people, though. Yeah, this will be interesting because I have played through it a couple times, but it'll be interesting to hear your perspective as a first timer to the series as a whole, how you feel about this one on a first playthrough. This should be a good conversation when we get to it. Yeah, absolutely. Can't wait. up another episode there's no happiness here after all goodbye sayori goodbye playcast goodbye literature club tune in next month as we continue our horror themed gameplay in october as we throw it back to the original playstation with tecmo's deception invitation to darkness Be sure to log on to the forums at rfgeneration.com to join our playthroughs, and we'll see you next time on the Playcast.
fresh meat. Basketball. Bow. Blah, blah, bling, blamage. But in describing this game, it's a bit like a dating simulator, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I want to talk a little bit about the poetry because I think the the kind of brilliance. Oh, fuck. Ow. All right. <laughs> I just got a wicked Charlie horse. Hold on. <laughs> God, you're making it hard for me to decide what the foot is the intro. 